Do you like it when Ronnie Corbett fell off the treadmill? Do, did I like it when yeah. he did? Yes. Me too. <laughs> See? We... Welcome to Riot Act. <laughs> Welcome to Riot Act. Uh, good way to start the show, that, isn't it, Renfrew, by referencing um, Peter Kay's... Do you remember Peter Kay, that comedian who remembers things? Quite meta. Mm, remembering. Remembering a man Mimby. who made a career out of remembering uh, things. Garlic bread! Remember when Ronnie Corbett fell off the... Fell off the <laughs> yeah, so for those, for those our American listeners, Ronnie Corbett is a comedian who goes... <laughs> the producer came to me. <laughs> Why are you holding your hands out? That's in what a... you do. <laughs> you know, listen. <laughs> That's Ronnie Corbett, okay. isn't it? It's yeah. I th- I think Americans know who the two Ronnies are. I don't think they do. Really? No. You you forget Renfrey. I have a direct American you do, yeah, <laughs> in my life. <laughs> She's very direct. Yes. You know. And uh, she doesn't know who Ronnie Corbett is. Okay. Um, anyway. Shall we welcome introduce to ourselves? <laughs> yeah. uh, this, uh, this is the alternative music podcast. Uh, and it's episode comedy number, podcast. Well, well, could, could be. Um, episode 35. My name is Stephen Hill. His name is Renfrey Deadman. Hello. Um, thanks very much for listening. We appreciate that. We want to give a shout out to our friends at Musicism at the start yeah. of the show. Top of the show. We always do that, don't we? Musicism are, for those of you who aren't aware, uh, are a, uh, a collective that will make videos and online tutorial content for you, the budding musician. So mm-hmm. if you want to be a guitarist, if you want to be a singer, if you want to be a producer, go to musicism.net and you can sign up for their courses and you'll just be better. Yep. Better person. Just better things. Yep. Uh, it's nine ninety nine, or if you're going to the checkout, put in Riot in capitals. Mm. That's because of us. Mm-hmm. Tell them we sent you. Yeah. Get a little bit of money off in it. Twenty five percent. Twenty five percent, mate. That's two pound forty nine. That £2.49. is. That is a pint if you go really far up north. Oh, if you go way up north. <laughs> if you go way or up. North. I went to my mum's at the weekend. I went to the Overton Memorial Institute. Yeah. Fosters there is still two pound ten pence pint of Fosters. The dream. The I've dream. Seen, I've seen Edwin Starr there three times. Wow. Yeah. What's Edwin Starr doing there? Does well, he live around there? No, <laughs> he's dead, Renfrey. Have some oh, respect. Okay, yeah. um, uh, Edwin Starr was, uh, was, was touring and he knew someone from my village. Oh. Weirdly, I don't know how. And this guy convinced him to come and play the tiny, tiny little club. And he played, funnily enough, right? This is true. The day before he played Wembley Arena, there was like a Motown All-Stars. This is about 1997, I reckon. Okay. There was a Motown All-Stars gig at Wembley Arena. And it was the Temptations, the Four Tops, yeah. uh, the Supremes. I don't. I think it was the Supremes without Diana Ross. They're not really the Supremes. Uh, but it was like all of the big Motown stars, on, you know, a lot of the big Motown stars, including Edwin Starr. And the day before he played Wembley Arena, he played the Overton Memorial Institute. Wow. Happy days. Wow. Was yeah, that a big day. day for Overton? Massive day. Yeah. Huge. It felt like the whole village went down. Oh, so, wow. Uh, went d- down. Uh, contact, you motherfucker. Oh, I thought yeah. you meant went down as in like like in, like the kids would say it. Like, yeah. Uh, well, no, down. they did. There was that as well. Okay, yeah, cool. It was good. So anyway. Princess Diana once uh, visited Thornbury, where I grew up. <laughs> <laughs> and the whole of Thornbury the day before she went played... down to that. Right. The day before. Oh, <laughs> the day you're before... about to say something. Day... No, I was going to say the day before she played Wembley Arena. <laughs> I wasn't going to do anything. Mm. The day the before our, she was in Paris. In no, it's not the queen of our hearts. Absolutely not. Um, anyway, uh, right. this is an alternative music podcast. It doesn't normally feature Princess Diana, Edwin Starr and Ronnie Corbett as the opening kind of gambit. This week, we are going to be reviewing new albums from Uncle, Whitechapel, Brutus and the Pirate Ship Quintet. Later on, we'll be talking about Broken Bells, which you gave me in trade-off. And we'll be talking about Atari Teenage Riot, which I gave you in trade-off. That's coming at the end of the I'm, show. I'm pulling a face. 
you are pulling in the face, you idiot. Um, <laughs> uh, but um, I also want to say go over to patreon.com forward slash right act podcast if you'd like to help us out financially. And we will do something in return for you. We've just recorded a Rioters review on 68. the 68 and on Devon Townsend's Ocean Machine. Yes. Um, also, for those of you who are interested, we have, uh, you wanted him. You wanted the worst. <laughs> you got the worst. Mr. Matt Stocks will be coming back uh, to the podcast um, and we're going to be we're going to be reviewing the dirt lords of chaos and godfathers of hardcore in a kind of movie special yeah. that's coming up and also are we doing bow even though it's been out a while aren't we doing bow rap we as can well? do bow rap as well yeah. we can do that as well we be a lot of me well. going better i reckon <laughs> um and um i think people might want to hear our opinions on bow rap i've not seen yeah. it as we my opinion this, is but. If you put on some fake teeth and mime for the song, you're not better than Christian Bale. That's my opinion. Sorry. I'm, I'm referring a little to bit of spoiler. I'm referring, referring to Bohemian Rhapsody, by the way, just yeah, in case people film. don't know what the fuck mm. I'm talking about yeah. when I say Bo Rap. Because uh, uh, Matt's also going to do Famous Monsters by The Misfits on Writer's Review oh, for the old patrons soon. Um, so that'd be very good. As I said, patreon.com forward slash podcast. If you go to riotactpodcast.com, you can get our merch. We should... Mm-hmm. mention that we do still There's have a fantastic merch available merch bit there yeah and loads of the hats and bags and t-shirts and hoodies and all that kind of stuff so if you like what we do and you think i like this enough to actually have it branded upon my person <laughs> uh then that's where to go uh anyway that's the hard sell now for the kind of serious business when we first started this podcast um 35 episodes ago renfrey we did a four hour long venn diagram of all music um all music we, that we wanted that to we cover, wanted to cover yeah, in yeah. the alternative spectrum yeah um and one of the artists that i fought hardest for the inclusion of yep. during that who i think is an unbelievably important artist in terms of just um their artistic and creative bent um the the the, the manner in which they went about their career their absolute staunch refusal to um be categorized or to be pigeonholed um and to do things in a genuinely alternative in the dictionary definition of the word way uh passed away scott walker uh, at the age of 76 this week scott walker um i think is for kind of particularly for the music you like mm. very very avant-garde experimental dark difficult music mm. um which is obviously you know it's music that i like as well mm. but but i i honestly cannot believe everyone from radiohead to david bowie to cult of luna wouldn't have been influenced or would, wouldn't sound the way they sound without mm-hmm. scott walker well the amount so of tributes, massive loss the amount of tributes that are pouring out from such a wide variety of musicians are um I mean that they're, they're so broad; it's really quite incredible. Mm. I um, I think it'll be obvious to anyone who listened to that episode and recalled it that I don't know as much about Scott, Scott Walker as you do, but I kind of um, thought that it was a very good choice because I think Scott Walker in that Venn diagram kind of represents the experimental. A lot of what you've just said, actually, doing things in an alternative mm. manner. Yeah. Um, the fact that he went from kind of 60s uh almost kind of beatles-esque sunshiny scott walker do what brothers walker do brothers, what melodies yeah. at the beginning of his career and by the end of his career he collaborated with sun mm. um just you know hooded 
uh, Seattle-based mm-hmm. doom metal merchants. Yeah. You know, it just goes to show what an incredibly vast career and just that incredible kind of I'll do whatever the fuck I want to do kind yeah. of attitude. I think it's really astonishing. Yeah, um, truly, truly astonishing. Um, I think I said it at the time, but I think it's worth repeating. Um, the the 30th century man, the Scott Walker documentary. I really which want is, to see that Which now. is my first um, exposure to Scott Walker's mm. work. Um, just kind of happening upon it when it was on television one day afternoon i think and mm. um i think it was on it was on sky arts and i just was flicking through and it was on and it was a few years old at that point but um it originally came out in 2007 yeah 2007 so it's kind of a few years after that years i think I, I i got hold of it and i was like you know well there's damon Albarn, there's uh, david bowie it, there's um jarvis cocker mm-hmm. there's tom york there's this I didn't, patty smith there's so many people involved I, I, in it i didn't realize he I mean, I've learned so much about Scott Walker in the last 24 hours or so. I didn't realise he produced a pulp record. Yeah. I had no idea. Like, yeah. like this is, uh, you know, I never went in on him enough to um, know those things. But, but now that he has died and there's lots of tributes to him and lots of, I'm just sort of stunned by the stuff that he did where I'm like, oh, right. I had no idea he did. I didn't know he did soundtracks and stuff. Yeah. I didn't know he was sort of out in the wilderness, not doing music and stuff. And basically well, became like a painter and decorator yeah, for a few it, years. It, like, like, it's bonkers. Ridiculously, like not just a vast career but like a career that it, doing things in a way that musicians just are not meant to do things yeah. completely like from the fact that you know there was there would be a scott walker album like every 10 years at one yeah. point you know what I mean? yeah. and um and yeah and i think you know you can hear it's it's amazing to me to be able to hear um an album like watershed by opeth which is directly references the drift by Scott Walker yes. and says, you know, and, and Michael Ackerfeld has come out and gone, what I was trying to do was make a Scott Walker record, was trying yeah. to make something as heavy as the drift. And then like, you mentioned Pulp. If you listen to This Is Hardcore by Pulp, you know, the, the production on that, that kind of beautiful, but really dark. And Jarvis has got, I don't think he's got as affecting a voice, but he's got a similar sort of, He's going for a similar range and effect with his voice, that kind of, um, you know, quite stark um, Baroque pop voice that, that Jarvis has got is obviously hugely influenced by Scott Walker. And I just think so many brilliantly unique and intelligent entertainers or artists, I should say, over the years have been influenced by Scott Walker. And it's more than the influence, really, because I think, you know, Everything I've read, a lot of it goes, he was so experimental and that influenced so much and it opened the doors for so much. His actual voice, like... So deep, baritone Unbelievable. Yeah. His voice was, like, truly a, a real instrument. Yeah. Oh, a absolutely. real instrument. Um, and unmistakably him. Yeah. Which is very, very rare. I read um, that the Walker Brothers originally... Um, had a different vocalist but then there was a song that was um that was just more suited mm. to his his baritone and um he you know after doing vocals on that track he just became their vocalist basically yeah um so and you know when you hear a voice that's so sort of unique it's kind of like why on earth didn't you have him in the first place <laughs> and when you listen back to those those 60s records they do you know when you listen to a lot of that kind of um, jaunty 60s music like yeah. that, that was in the pop charts that, that, that you know when you think about Austin Powers music almost um, yeah flower power it sounds yeah the sort of flower power music you know 
they were they were part of that, but there's there's like proper darkness to yeah. his voice. You just listen to his voice, and there's this sorrow, and there's this black cloud that even even over these psychedelic, you know, jaunty pop songs, there's this dark cloud hanging over all of it, and it's 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 Scott Walker's voice. He's they're fucking amazing. Just to pick up on that, there's a wonderful quote from The Observer from 2008 from him um, where he said, uh, I'm an outsider for sure and that suits me fine. Solitude is like a drug for me. I crave it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that that, is, and, and that's that the a, sort of person we want exactly. <laughs> to celebrate. Like it, really is, it really is. But anyway, uh, yeah, RIP Scott Walker, proper. Uh, if you haven't heard The Drift, and I understand Renfrey, you haven't heard the drift as i understand it well yeah well I, i've confessed that to you yeah so, so yes i think we might be you might be hearing you might be hearing a drift sooner rather than later let's put it like this there's going to be more scott walker stuff on the podcast soon yeah. <laughs> so, yeah so anyway um yeah so that's that's not good news but um what is good news i suppose uh machine fucking head of back <laughs> so not splitting up such a weird way to uh to start oh, this news in particular well, with that high-pitched voice yeah i mean uh, i don't know is this good news machine there 25 years after Burmeyer's uh was released celebrating the sort of the 25th anniversary of a fucking wonderful record I, just, i've been re-listening to, to it the last couple of days just going mm. so um yeah so logan madder and chris contos the original guitarist and drummer of Machine Head, respectively, are back in Machine Head, along with Jared McEachran, who remains on bass. So Adam Juice isn't back to make it the original, original Machine Head. But... Didn't imagine that would happen. No, I didn't really <laughs> think that was going to happen, to be honest. But, you know, it's three quarters of the original Machine Head coming back to do a tour, um, very much concentrating on Burn My Eyes. The idea is the first act is going to be Machine Head. I was about to say hit. The hits. You know, Halo imperium bloody bloody blah it's going to be in two acts basically first half is going to be lots of machine head stuff which doesn't cover burn my eyes second half is going to be burn my eyes in full that's the idea good of this tour um when i first heard this news mm. i was incredible I, I was i leapt i was basically leaping for joy and really excited and then I sort of remembered, oh, but I don't like album shows, um, <laughs> which, which, you know, Depends this is, on the album, it, though, it, it, it does. I, I do wonder if this will be an exception because I personally um, am not old enough to have seen Machine Head play loads of those Burn My Eyes songs. And um, I think, when did I first see Machine Head? I think it was the Supercharger tour. Actually, Actually. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, they were. They've amazing. always been good live. They yeah. were amazing at, at, at that date, and like they've never disappointed me live, Machine Head. Mm. But, um, but you know that was that was the first time I saw them, and by that point, you know I've heard old loads, I've heard Davidian loads, I've heard Block a fair amount. Beyond that, um, it's just the occasional like I might have heard a thousand lies occasionally. I think did they do Death Church on the last run? They did. They did. They definitely did one from Burmeyers on the last one, yeah. which I was really excited to see. But I've probably only of that eleven track album, I've probably only seen five, maybe six of its songs live. Mm. So I, me personally, I am actually really excited. I mean, one of my favourite Machine Head songs ever is "A Nation on Fire," and just oh, the thought great. of being able to see that song live is enough for me to be excited. Yeah. To be honest, yeah. 
And I do, um, I think we've talked about Machine Head on this one. I, I fucking love Machine Head. You do, yeah. <laughs> I you love really them. love Mate, Machine I do. Head. I love Machine Head. Yeah. I kind of, I, I remember we were at, um, we were at their show. Roundhouse. Roundhouse. Yeah. And uh, I was there, had a few beers in me. Yeah. Uh, and kept on sort of wriggling in my seat and turning to you and going, this is amazing, isn't it? And you yeah. were like, yeah, it's all right. And I'm like, but this is amazing. It's amazing. I, I, <laughs> I just So the best Machine Head show I ever saw was at the Astoria in 1997, December 1997, yeah. supported by Misery Loves Company and Entombed. Good night out of that. Oh, yeah, and that was basically, well, it was Dave McLean on drums, mm. Adam Juice on bass, Logan Madder and Rob Flynn. And Logan Madder was at that point, I think, Logan Madder, when you know when you watch someone, you just go, he's the fucking coolest dude. Logan Madder was the coolest person I had ever seen on on a stage playing music at that yeah, point. Yeah, I know I other like, people who saw him. fucking amazing. He used to do these massive, like, high, both knees up together jumps um, and get and look like he was getting, like, 20 foot in the air. Mm. It was amazing. And he was, yeah, he was great. I mean, obviously I don't expect him to be able to do that I was that about now. to say, but well, that was 23 years ago. Of course it was, yeah. I don't so. expect him to be able to do that now, of course. But it's cool to see Logan Madder back in Machine It's Head. really cool. It's really cool to see Logan Madder back on stage. He's been mm. doing production work for, for quite a long, a long time. time. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, yeah I, I'm excited about seeing Logan Madder and Chris Contest because we also have to remember, whilst Burn My Eyes is considered... I think nowadays you have to say one of the classic Machine Head albums. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's not like the classic lineup is reuniting. No. The classic lineup is considered Demel McLean, well, do so, I'd say, yeah, and, of and Flynn, you know, but that that is the, the lineup that people consider the classic lineup. Yeah, the one that made the black in him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so. And, you know, Chris Connors, even though I think most people will go, well, it's between, there's this argument between Burmeyers and the black in him as to what is the, the sort of the, the definitive Machine Head album. Mm. I still think it's the more things change. I know, <laughs> like, all right, get over it. Um, but it is. And it's a great record. Great record. Uh, so that would, so mine would be Logan Madder, McLean. But Chris Contos has obviously brought such a great amount to burn my eyes. And did you ever see Machine Head with Contos? Nope. Mm. Nope. He left very, very quickly. He, he did, after didn't that he? Album yeah, came out. yeah, he did. And that that is exciting because the the drums on that record yeah. sound as good as they do because the man behind the kit is beating the living shit out of them. Um, Dave McLean was an incredible drummer. I would never take anything away from yeah, McLean. Yeah, he's great, yeah. But the amount of people who go on and on and on about, I'm not... <laughs> it's a little bit like the um, uh, Dave Dave Mustaine Metallica thing where you see people kind of going, oh, Machine Head were crap as soon as Contus left, you know, kind of thing. Yeah, sure. But, you know... Those trolls will be happy, I suppose. Um, will they? They'll be well, going about no. Adam Juice. Of course they won't. Why is it at Brixton Academy? It should be in a Where's pub. Adam Juice? <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I'd like despite despite being lukewarm towards album shows generally and stuff, this is more than just an album show. It's two sets. Yeah. And um, There's another evening with Machine Head. It's another evening with Machine Get Head, your exactly. money worth, don't you? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I am. I imagine the first half of that's going to be fucking outrageous as well really curious to see those what logan and Qantas bring to those songs yeah really curious like yeah. that'll be really interesting i hope as well because obviously logan only did one other album with them and it is my favorite i'd quite like them to you know i would happily hear more more things uh, the more things change material personally definitely i would really like that. violate and um yeah. which i don't think i've ever heard live blistering um, blistering like, yeah, so uh what's the zodiac one blood, um, of, the zodiac. blood of the zodiac like yeah. 
I would actually happy happy down here. To down to down to down. Oh, brilliant! Uh, what's the third track, which is incredibly fast? Struck a nerve. Struck a nerve. I saw that once at yeah. Sonosphere, and it is one of the I'm best. Not, I've never seen them fucking play that. Oh, oh no, it, not never. But I have not. Seen, the only time I've seen them play that is that show at the Astoria. Right. Nice. Yeah. Okay. I mean, they did that, and then they did a cover of Negative Creep. By Nirvana, straight uh, back to back. That negative creep cover's great. Yeah, like it's on the um, blackening. Uh, there's a there's a three disc edition of the blackening, which has like B sides and mm. rarities. Like, it's fucking awesome. Well, it was the B side to um, uh, take my scars. Was it now? Yeah. Cool. It's very that and colors by Ice T was the, when yeah, they released it. Yeah, that's single. on there as well. Um, the I mean, <laughs> when you think of Machine Head and covers it's normally not a good thing you think about because uh, it's usually that police cover but yeah. uh, but they are actually well, very good at covers when they don't stray into the sort of 80s pop <laughs> thing yeah they've done a great cover of um hallowed be their name yeah. by Maiden. Yeah. a br- great cover of battery i mean it is just battery essentially but it's really but really it good. is very good the negative creep cover is really good yeah. the um they've done a chroma what chromag song did they do mm. uh they did a chromag song they, sure did, they did and it's also on that yeah on that and colors by ice too as well yeah. so they've actually done they're really good at covers i think the colors one is quite straight as well isn't it yeah it's fairly yeah, straight, it's a fairly yeah. straight yeah. cover so it's very unmachine head like um but anyway we're getting off the subject um, anyway it's good i'm very excited yes, yes. me too i'm I very am. excited i am i'm very very excited oh right, metal um <laughs> which is why i went to the death to, i did the best name for a tour death to false metal core i went the other day oh is that what the it's, name of the tour was it was called death to false metal core and i like that as a name rimfrey because <laughs> as you and i both know um metal core is not bloody the amity affliction and all those bands it's not no can't have that it doesn't sound like what we had it first you can't have it like (laughs) (laughs) basically is what i'm saying um but yeah four bands who basically play kind of uh you know it's three of the kind of older lot the the open band um who i'd never heard of before before called left behind um were a kind of more trap them like kind of sludgy hardcore more like um yeah wage war or something like that like one of those bands they were um they were they were good i thought they were good sort of sludgy hardcore um everyone was there for misery signals i've heard this it was fucking went crazy for misery signals Hmm. like they were headlining why well they haven't been over for a very very long time Uh... about 10 years and i think jesse the singer oh is it that long it is about that long, yeah. Oh, Jesse, the singer, right? left, like, because they didn't do anything from, like, 2009. I think that was the last time they came over. And then they, Jesse, the singer, left in 2000, I want to say 2006, 2007. Okay. So he hadn't been over about 12 years oh, okay. fronting them. Oh, they so it was good. a big fucking deal then, them yeah. being over. Yeah. yeah. Despite being third down on the bill. Yeah, despite oh. being third down on the bill. And, you know, they got 45 minutes and Unearth and Darkest Hour got an hour each. Oh, okay. Uh, so it was very much like they're meant to be the support band. But people were losing their game, batty for them. And they were good. Like, they're really... I'd never seen... I didn't see Misery Signals back in the day. Mm. They were one of those bands who came along a little bit after my initial wave of excitement for this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Darkest Hour and Unearth, I was like, bang on it. I was like, this is mm. my shit. And it's great. Um... And then I sort of post Kill Switch Engage, I got a little bit like, yeah. And Misery Signals are one of those bands who were like, yeah, they're quite good. A bit like Hopesful. Mm-hmm. I remember people going, yeah, oh, God, Hopesful. And I was like, yeah, they're quite, they're quite good. Um, 
their last album, which, and I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, came out in 2013, was actually really good. And it does have much more in common with Poison the Well, I guess. They do a nice line in chunky beatdowns, but also they've got that kind of melodic soaring clean vocal thing which the other two bands don't on this tour the other three bands don't really have so uh yeah they were good misery signals but it was odd to see everyone lose their shit and then basically a lot of people left and i thought what a great night on earth are going to come on and smash it and they sort of played to less people and a lot of people didn't seem like they even knew they were mm. so it's a bit weird that Unearth are brilliant great live really really great live um uh they have I was saying this on the day, actually. The problem with Unearth is, is they are very, very good at doing that thing that they do. That, that kind thing? of early metalcore um, with sort of Van Halen licks is mm-hmm. basically what they do. Pummel, 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 and then whittle, massive whittle, whittle, whittle. whittle, whittle. Yeah. Pummel, 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 whittle, whittle, whittle. And when you first, when you heard that in like 2003 off the back of new metal and stuff, you're like, this is great. This is really, really exciting. Yeah. Um, six, seven albums later of the same thing. Um yeah you know <laughs> I, but that's on record to be fair that's yeah. that's yeah, on yeah, record sure. yeah, live yep. they are fucking excellent live and they're still excellent live and i i i feel like i can never enjoy unearth that much because i always feel like you're much better live than so many other bands and they put they put so much into it that i get annoyed that no one else people literally just stood there watching them like mm. right at the front i was like they're fucking why doesn't anyone care it's weird but then i guess the problem is is that it's just fatigue of the sound because they haven't really progressed their sound they do i'm i you're not a fan i'm not a fan and i i did um i reviewed their new album for hammer and basically what did i give it six or seven mainly on the provide be the main reason being like uh, you could a b their first album and this album and the progression is so minute I mean, it's like, I, I and I don't, I, I, you know, that's if if you really love that kind of thing, fine. But I don't kind of see the point in that yeah. myself. So yeah, you know. I mean, they've had some good ones and some not so good ones over the year. I think, mm. they, yeah. But anyway, they're still very, very good live, but not as good as Darkest Hour. Mm. <laughs> Darkest uh, Hour, I actually do quite like. Yeah, I, I love Darkest Hour. Weird pick. Like the the thing with me is, without wanting to sound like a fucking knobhead, I. Loved the last Darkest Hour record, but my real... Like the whitey pink one. Yeah, and it's What's got it a long-ass name called yeah. something in the bowels of something Satan. else. Satan. I, can't, I Satan. cannot remember what it's called for shit. That, that is a, that's, a, that's a very good record. That's it's a, a great record. record. Yeah, yeah, really, yeah. really, yeah. really good record. Yeah. And they're much scratchier and savage than the rest of the bands. You know, um, yeah, they obviously take a lot from that, that. They're the ones who obviously take the most from that Swedish Melodeth scene. My sweet spot for Darkest Hour is the real early stuff where it was mad thrash, like 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 Exodus. They sounded like like a proper Bay Area thrash band. And I think as the years have gone by, uh, they sort of got to a point where they were doing that sort of thing as well, but they weren't doing it with the level of almost grindcore pace mm-hmm. like they were on the early stuff. Uh, so... For me, to be super, super sort of um, picky, they didn't pick the set that I would have picked. 
But the thing is, yeah, I know, I know. Two stars. No, 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 no. But do you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> no, 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 ah, no, no, I no. would like to hear that. Like, I yeah, walked yeah. away going, I didn't hear. Because they've got such a, you know, they've got like eight albums yeah, now. Yeah, they've got, they've got a lot of albums. They only played two off the last one and they only played one. Like they, you know, Mark of the Judas is my favourite and they didn't play anything off that. So I was a bit like that. The last one being called Godless Prophets and the Migrant Flora. That's it, yeah. So they played a couple. they played that long to look yeah, it up. Yeah. They, so. played, they played two of that. They played nothing off Mark of the Judas, which is the best one. Yes, it is. Um, and only like, I think like, one or two from Undoing Ruin, which is will be my second mm, pick. That's it, yeah. Uh, and um but you know, they were really, really good. They were really, really good. Uh and but it it's got to the point with the, those metalcore bands now that you can kind of see why the scene dropped off a little bit because they're not going on. I feel like Darkest Hour have at least progressed a bit. You know, that last album does sound kind of different from the very, very early stuff. Like it's not been the whole the same thing the whole way through whereas with Unearth it kind of is the whole thing yeah the whole thing is the, the first thing you hear yeah. is still what you hear today yeah. anyway it was good like I like banging my head uh, whatever I like banging my head <laughs> yeah it I was like one of them head. it was one of them it was just like this is a laugh this this is good this is good fun um, if you like bang your head I you like to, to bang my head death, death to false metalcore you go to that yeah so death to false metalcore mm. Let's do some reviews. Uh, first album this week, after saying all that about how I just like to bang my head uh, <laughs> indiscriminately to just loud noises, um, I also like to listen to ethereal um, trip hop with a, <laughs> with a narrative, Remfrey. Yeah, Hence that is why a, quite a good way to sum up what a really long, complicated, complex record. But yeah, Yes. We're talking bad. about Uncle, The Road, Part Two. Part two. Um, the sixth album, Lost Highway. Yeah, that's the Lost, full title. Lost Highway. Uh, the sixth album from James Lavelle's trip hop uh, solo. Well, solo now. Well, the solo collective. Yeah, it's complicated, isn't it? He's it's, kind of the leader of a collective. He's certainly the dude as yeah. of uh, the road part one and part two. So, mm. Yes. So. Um, an interesting record because unfortunately we never got the chance to talk about the road part one no uh, which came out before we were a podcast i believe yeah yes Just it about. did it did yeah, yeah yeah so um so we didn't get to talk about that um but you know uh, this essentially is the second part of a trilogy that james lavelle is doing of albums i didn't know it was a trilogy it is a trilogy so the third ah. part will be coming next year i right. believe okay don't quote me on that. It might okay. be later this year, but uh-huh. I would imagine it'll be coming next year. Um, and is meant to be less of an album and more of a mixtape. Yes. It, um, it's about a journey. So it is the mixtape you would listen to whilst undertaking a car journey. Yes. That he has kind of mixed and sampled together. So there are lots of guests on it, including Mick Jones from The Clash. God, there's loads of guests. And Mark, Mark Lanigan. Lanigan. Um, there's uh, a lot of people. Troy Van Uh we'll go we'll inevitably go through yeah, as we go yeah through sure. the review. uh and um yeah there's there's as i said there's a lot of uh a lot of guests on it and there's a few covers on it as well quite recognizable covers i would say but done in a very very different way almost mm. like the it's the original song but it's just being played in the background of the the sort of the film that the album is mm. if you know what i mean mm. Mm. um now I have liked Uncle for a long time. Mm, okay. Science fiction, 
is a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant record. That's a debut album that came out in the late 90s. Yeah. 97, I think. Um, it's excellent. Really, really excellent. So I've always had an, a definite interest in Uncle. We're going to be that album. We're going to be doing science fiction on uh, writer's review at some point as well. Yeah, we are. Yeah. yeah. Um, whereas I understand that you don't know so much about Uncle. Is that right? I got into Uncle on the road part one. Uh, okay. really late basically uncle was obviously one of those i'm fully aware of who he was but i was just kind of like we've talked about massive attack and port's head and people like that on this podcast before uh quite recently and i think that i was always sort of under the impression that i had enough of uh, not ha- not had enough as in oh i'm sick of this music but i i had enough of that kind of music in my um collection i had more than i needed kind of thing yeah. and so i never chucked out uncle until a couple of years ago when the road part one came out and um his lovely publicist shout out emma uh cornered me at a show i can't remember what it was but she was basically like the new uncle records coming out are you an uncle fan and i sort of confessed to her that i'd never really just given him an opportunity mm. and she was just like please listen to this record so i did and i was really impressed by part one and kind of realized oh right so this is like the pinnacle of this kind of thing as far as i'm concerned and and realized that immediately off the bat and realized that i should have gone back to his previous stuff Mm. ages ago Mm -hmm. still haven't done that um (laughs) but yes so i'm only familiar with you know the road parts one and two so far um but I like what I hear very, very much. I mean, people call him a trip hop guy. I'm assuming, like from the road and stuff, I'm guessing he started in trip hop and there's still a trip hop element to it, but yeah. it seems so much more expansive than that. Definitely. To the point we talked about the cinematic orchestra last week. Yeah. And I wouldn't, I'm not saying this is the same as the cinematic orchestra, but in the terms of how many sort of genres they go to and that kind of thing i mean it it is there's there's lots and lots and lots in here Mm. we should say it's a uh is it it's 22 tracks isn't it it's 22 tracks um i believe it's kind of it's kind of a double album so i understand it It is it's 80 minutes yeah it it flows very well really well i i i understand what lavelle is saying when he says it's a mixtape and i do get that um, it does have a mixtape kind of quality to it. Yeah. Um, with the the good the good things that that would entail and the bad, I would I would say I think I think it's you know I think that's a double edged sword, but it is very mixtape like. Um, and yet, it, it does have we we very very recently we've been talking about Devin Townsend's album and Bring Me the Horizons album and making cohesive pieces of work and stuff like this. And despite the fact that this is um, mixtape-like and Mm. intended to be, it does also somehow magically sound cohesive as well, which I think is pretty um, pretty impressive. I, I was really... I I'm sort of made a mistake with this record and read up about it before listening to it. And when I was reading about it, um, the immediate comparison that came to mind, and this is, you know, you'll raise your eyebrows for a little bit here, but was uh, Load and Reload by Metallica. Because I read that 
much of the material on this record was recorded at the same time as the road part one uh as was the case with reload and load and some of it is tracks which are kind of left over from those sessions and some of it is kind of newer tracks so it was recorded over four years this album 2014 to 2018 so i kind of thought that we were getting a sort of odds and sods half b-sides but not really b-side collection which is really what reload is yeah um listening to it it's much more than that it's it's far more cohesive than that and i think the quality in the main is far higher than that would suggest as well Mm. um i you know i i really I, I like a lot of this album and there's a sort of through line of kind of a lot of the contributors appear several times. So um, oh, is it Tom Smith from the editors yeah. from editors? Sorry. He, he pops up a few times. Uh, me, is it Mia or there's a, there's, there's a few, there's a few artists who pop up lots and lots and lots of times on this record and, and give it a sort of through line. Mm. Um, and there's also something that I noticed was there's a lot of piano led stuff and a lot of strings on it as well, which I yeah. think is quite a through th- that that kind of makes it more cohesive as well. And I think a lot of those piano and string led tracks are really beautifully done, actually really, really good. Almost ballady. Yeah. I mean, in some cases that there's a lot, you know, there is a lot of that in his, in, the, in, in his back catalogue. Right. Okay. And he's very, very good at it. I mean, you probably would be familiar with rabbit in, in your headlines. Yeah. 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 Tom yeah. York, you know, being the, yeah, yeah, yeah. the most obvious one, yeah, I suppose. Yeah. Um, he's got a thing. Uh, and I think this was, this was one of the things that you, that at first made it difficult to listen to uncle. Um, but then became one of the things that I thought was really interesting and, and, and why I, I think why sort of I'm, I'm always really interested in hearing what he does i think we were talking last week about danger mouse and him having mm. a kind of signature sound um and a signature production style yeah i think james lavelle's got a very similar thing with his right. music because it's almost like when you make when you make music you usually unless you're like steve albini or whatever but even this is quite different to that obviously um the stuff that you want people to hear you will put it to the forefront of the mix mm-hmm. whereas I feel like it, listening to Uncle and listening to this album particularly is like is like watching a film where people are listening to music. It's almost like the stuff you have that sits in the background is the focus is, is the stuff that you're meant to be focusing on. Mm. But it's actually kind of which is why I say you know there's um, the, the the kind of the cover of the, the first time ever I saw your face, mm. which is amazing, so which is good. really really good, so and good. and that kind of comes up really quickly and is dom- and then sort of fades out mm. so it sort of sits back so mm. it's really really beautiful and affecting mm. and then it just kind of fades out but it's not like it fades out and the record ends it fades out and still other things are going on mm. as well mm. and it's a really clever i think it's a really interesting i just think that's a really interesting and quite unique production technique i mean he does it again with um with touch me mm-hmm. at the end which is the last yeah, track of the, the record, record and yeah. that sits so deep in, I mean, if you listen to it on headphones, it almost feels like the things that aren't even relatable to, the, or like aren't even related to the the hook of the song. With well, a song like you know, like that's a, a, a an eighties pop song, isn't it? And yeah. 
yeah. you would want to have that like front and center in your mix and your production and he doesn't do that yeah and it's a really interesting way to approach uh it just makes it it just makes you you listen in harder mm. i feel like i think this album's very good yeah i think, I think you're quite i think you're, i think you're right to say that it it dips and it there's peaks there's definite peaks and troughs that's the nature it's of not, a mixtape yeah isn't of it? course you it's know. not the most consistent record no um but in terms of it being a statement against i, I listen to it, i feel like this is a statement against the way that people consume music mm, it feels to yeah. me like he has gone i'm sick of the way that how disposable and how easy it is and how throwaway music has become. So if you want to listen to me, mm. if you want to listen to my mm. music, you are going to have to listen. Mm. And that's fucking cool. Mm. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. you do have to listen to this. Mm. There's no way you will get you won't get anything out of this unless you sit down and properly listen to it. First time I put it on, I think I put it on at work because guys I work with don't like guitar-based music really, mm. but they like well, you know, like they like some of it, but they don't like heavy guitar music, which we took obviously cover a lot. Um so it's been cool that you know doing this yeah. rather than other things that I have to I have covered previously. It's not often that I get to be able to play the stuff that we're going to review in the office. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I can play this, and they don't mind it because it just sort of sits. You can sit in the background, but it didn't grab me. It didn't grasp me. It didn't do anything for me at all. Yes, the I first agree. time I listened to it, it did nothing. It wasn't until I put it on my headphones. It wasn't until I got home and I put it on my speakers. My you know my my proper sort of speaker system, and I actually sat down and and concentrated on what was going on mm. that it started to actually infiltrate what i was doing and you know you you, you just to um, pick up on that you can listen to this passively but you will get out so much more out of it if yeah. you actually concentrate on it and yeah like, you can listen to it passively and i but the thing is i don't think any of it will penetrate unless you're concentrating mm, mm, i think mm. you can listen to it and go well that sounded quite nice and you won't remember any of it yeah, yeah because yeah. it's not yeah. designed for i don't feel like this is designed for people to to just pick up and listen to three minutes of them and walk away or like mm. obviously it's not mm. but um i think it's very markedly stubbornly so mm. designed for people to treat with the sort of it, it demands your total attention mm. in the best way. I, I, like for me personally, I think that's great. Mm. Yeah, I think it's I think it's very very strong, and I think it's a far. We were talking about the quality going up and down a bit, considering considering what I read about the record and it being a mixtape. I was expecting f and and the length of it. Let's you know, let's yeah. not. I mean, eighty minutes is a big ask. It is um double disc you know i was expecting so much more dips in quality than i got um funnily enough i discovered later when i was like trying to figure out well what are the moments i didn't like as much and and i will say this there isn't anything on this record that i totally dislike mm. uh, it is it's between songs i love and songs which i think are pretty good basically yeah. but the, the the songs that i liked less i actually discovered were all released as singles i was like oh that's weird <laughs> that, that's typical remfrey um but you know but like stuff like um well stuff like that the first time ever i saw your face is just absolutely amazing mm. feel more with less it's this wonderful it has this piano thing and just builds to 
builds with strings and was reminiscent of burn the witch by radiohead i mm. thought in in a very 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 good way um i thought long gone was absolutely beautiful and very sort of romantic almost mm. there's it's quite it feels like quite a romantic record you could yeah it does doesn't it you could there's a you lot know, of you could come on you don't need to, <laughs> we all know what you're gonna say uh i'm saying uh, you could put it on as courting music most courting. of it well, you're my nan <laughs> You courting, boy? <laughs> you courting, boy? <laughs> That's what she's saying. Oh, you courting, are you? Are you bloody I'm trying thing. to say it in a respectful manner. Yeah, um, sure. <laughs> I have to say, in terms of, because, you know, like, uh, as good as, I think everyone vocally does a very, very good job, but yeah. we spoke a few weeks ago when uh, we were talking about the Mark Morton album about Mark Lanigan. Oh, yeah. Let's and just it, wang on about how brilliant <laughs> Mark Lanigan is, shall we? It's very, very difficult to match that's the first song you stick mark lanagan yeah on it. yeah and it's like well you're never gonna like no one's no one's no one's matching that uh, i think the i think the vocal performances are are great they are. throughout of course yeah they are. i mean mark lanagan is it's mark so lanagan good. is yeah. so no, good i know i mean, mean this is not the same as us going oh you know like because obviously on the, when we spoke about the mark morton album he was up against like Fuck, fucking what the guy from hell yeah and des for and fucking i don't know shifty shell shock or whatever <laughs> i don't Pope. think any of those three were on it but it was that right, quite, quite caliber, guy, that caliber, basically the yeah. same people it's a papa roach and yes it was it was yeah, yeah papa roach and the someone else the alter bridge mate it's amazing how forgettable that album is considering alter bridge mate miles kennedy miles kennedy alter bridge mate. Yeah, he yeah, yeah. got a good voice but yeah. but you know the difference between um mark lanning and on that which is like Arnold Schwarzenegger turning up at a sort of <laughs> wimpy man competition. <laughs> <laughs> and the strongest wimpy man. And this, where he's at least got some... Well, you know, he's Arnold Schwarzenegger at a strongest man competition. Yeah. In Arnold Schwarzenegger in his 20s. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. He, he's, he's got some stiff competition, but yeah. yes, he's still probably the best, yeah. I'd imagine. Yeah. Um, He's got Lou Ferrino's there in this one, at least, isn't he? You know, yeah, Lou Ferrino was the Incredible Hulk. For those of you who don't know, who was <laughs> used to come second all the time when Arnie was Mister Universe for like eight years running or something. Yes, that's right. A little bit of context there. Um, so but it made a, my it, analogy work. But it also, <laughs> it also has you know like Ian Asprey on it. I mean that yeah, that cru- crucifixion slash a prophet yeah. song is so fucking good. It's probably like the darkest the record gets. Um, and I didn't even realise it was Ian Asprey until I mm, read it. Mm, yeah. Well, that that song has ridiculous guests. Ian Asprey's on it. Chris Goss yep. from Masters of Reality. Troy Van Leeuwen from Queens of the Stone Age and The Perfect Circle. Tom Smith mm. uh, from Editors. Esker. Um, Mink, uh, yeah. who's the vocalist I was talking about before, who's on a lot of this record. Plus others. It's just, just loads, loads the, the, of This is a cool now. thing I've always thought about Uncle and, and, and James Lavelle is that although this is definite like it's definitely an alternative it's definitely part of the sort of thing that we talk about it definitely for oh, me yeah. belongs in alternative music but it certainly belongs i think it most people would consider it closer into electronic stroke trip hop stroke hip hop um rather than guitar music and he always gets guests in from prominent guitar bands and the fact that he's still doing it getting in people like mark lanigan and the yeah. asprey is wicked to see i think, I think especially he's at this point a massive fan of yeah, that definitely. stuff i mean crucifixion slash a know, prophet. jason newstead was on the first yeah exactly album. crucifixion slash a prophet to me sounds like his uncle's version of a desert session yeah. and it feels to me as if he's got it you know 
he's got Chris Goss on because Chris Goss was so important in those desert sessions. And it's like, we can't do this song unless Chris Goss is there. You know, it feels like he's almost, I mean, I, I, you know, I'm, I am guessing here and I could be totally wrong, but if we don't get Chris Goss, we can't do this song almost, you know? Mm. Um, and, and it works really well. I mean, it's better than a lot of the stuff on desert sessions, to yeah. be honest. Um, you know, and then the, and then sometimes it goes into like, like Kubrick, Kubrick is this is like seven minute instrumental, mm. which, you know, I've got to get a reference in there somewhere, has post-rock style dynamics, blah, blah, yeah. blah. And Mick um, Jones from The Clash. And Mick Jones from The Clash, which is bonkers. Yeah. Um, and it's it's great. It, there's one point where it fades to the point, of, well, of total silence, basically. You think it's over, but it's not. It's just, it just mm. then creeps back in again. And with that title as well, it's very difficult not to sort of think of Kubrick and his work like I was almost thinking of it um that sequence in 2001 where they go into the Stargate thing you know which lasts oh. for fucking 10 minutes or whatever I've not seen you've not seen no, I haven't simpleton <sighs> I've seen Step Brothers though <laughs> um, all's forgiven <laughs> yeah it's sort of the same isn't it they films aren't they I Both mean films. Oh my god! Okay, uh, um, I haven't even seen Step Brothers actually. Not, I've not seen Step Brothers. I used to work with a girl, and she was like, she said, oh, "I love Step Brothers." And I went, "I haven't seen it." She's like, "Oh, don't you know about films?" <laughs> <laughs> like what? Uh, so I'm just love channeling that. I'd love to know if she's seen 2001. Space, yeah, honestly. she hasn't seen Pulp Fiction. What? Um, and she hasn't seen. Oh, what she? We went through a bunch of. She hasn't seen The Godfather. We went through a bunch of things, oh, and I was like. Up. Are you talking to me like having not seen films just because I haven't seen Step Brothers <laughs> and I don't know about cinema? You haven't seen Little Nicky? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, I've been wasting my time watching Dog Day Afternoon. Um, anyway, uh, sorry, yeah. so yeah. so I think this is good. What I will say is, uh, I don't want to end on a downer, really, Renfrew, oh, but Steve. But the road part one is is better, better isn't it? Uh, yes. Like it is. But the road part one is an hour. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I mean. If I was being super brutally honest, I reckon this would have been absolute peak. I reckon this would have been as good as the Road Part One if it was an hour as well. If you got had two two discs kind of thing, mm, half I mean, an hour each. No, I I, th I think an hour each. Oh, I think, right, there's, enough, okay, yeah, I think yeah. there's enough good material over the course of the whole thing. I don't. And know. I meant like two discs on, on this part two. I see. Yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe, maybe, but like. I definitely think there are things that be, could be cut, but bearing in mind that I often complain about the length of records and saying records are too long, blah, blah, blah. When I saw that this album was 80 minutes, just over 80 minutes long, I suspected I would be doing that. And um, I guess I am, but not to the extent that I thought I would be. It's not too, no, sense. no, it, it's not. I mean, there've been a few where I've gone, this is definitely too long. Yeah. I don't think this is definitely too long. It doesn't bore me. No, no. Because it it's, it's different enough. Yeah, throughout. it's definitely different enough. It doesn't bore me. It feels right. I, I love the packaging and I love the way mm. that it's produced. And mm. I love the fact that there are essentially, it is two tracks and like oh, either right. listen to two tracks or get the fuck out of town. And, All and the that whole concept. Cool. I yeah, think the, just the concept as a whole is awesome. The, you know, in the, yeah, conceptually it nails what it's trying to do yeah. definitely yeah, yeah, yeah. i do think the road part one is is better i yeah. say slightly better i think it's a bit better, than I, I, better. I, I think it's better but but i still think this is very good and to be honest it, it massively exceeded my expectations mm -hmm. considering the stuff that i read about it before going into it 
Good. So anyway, that is Uncle The Road Part 2, open brackets, Lost Highway, close brackets. It's really good. I would say it's probably, if you aren't familiar with Uncle and you're not a fan, it's probably not the best place to go in on. Where is the best place, Steve? Uh, well, I would say science fiction is the best mm-hmm. place to go in for me. We'll do that in a few weeks then. Yeah, we will. Um, but, you know, but good all the same. Anyway, moving on and taking a fucking hell of a <laughs> detour. Detour. We are going from one, well, they're saying that, one conceptual record to another. This is The Valley by Whitechapel. Um, it is a seventh studio album from the Deathcore Pioneers or Deathcore Populists maybe I should say, <laughs> is uh, slightly more accurate. Um, and this record, so I'm led to believe, I, I was thrown a little bit by it because it said, mm. based on true events, mm. an album by Whitechapel, mm. The Valley. It says it on the cover. On the cover. So it must so, be true. So it must be true. <laughs> uh, it tells the story of singer Phil Bozeman's childhood. Um, now, just a little bit of, before we get into exactly what that means, because... That's as much of it as I could find. It's quite vague. Oh, it's very vague, yeah. It's quite vague. And I think it's probably deliberately quite vague. Mm-hmm. Because this is a very, this is a clearly quite a dark record. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, very. Um, quite a serious record. Uh, and it's not the sort of thing that you would usually think a deathcore band would would sing about. So I was normally or, surprised by... A lot of it. Not all of it, but a lot of it. Yeah. So Whitechapel as a band. Now, I have to say, I'm not a massive fan of Whitechapel. I'm not a massive fan of modern deathcore either, really. Uh, I'm the same. Yeah. Same but thing. I, um, a Mark of the Blade, the last, de- uh, the last uh, Whitechapel album, I've actually gone back to that a few times, which is, you know, when it came out, I said, oh, it's all right. You know, it's one of, it's quite okay. And there's not many of those albums that uh that stick with me um and and that kind of oddly has mark of the blade i thought it was a good record especially in that mold um but then saying that i wouldn't say i'm a, again I, i'm not a I'm not a huge fan of this style particularly mm. um but i think Whitechapel are one of the better bands that are doing this type of thing What's your uh, relationship with Whitechapel? Um, similar, if anything, probably know even less about them than you really. I know of the... I, I had lots of misconceptions about Whitechapel for right. a long, long time. Um, I thought they'd been going a lot longer than they have. They formed in 2006. Yeah. Maybe it's to do with the... Because they've got... Seven, this is their seventh album. Uh-huh. So they've done a lot of albums in a relatively short space of time. They've been very you know, consistent in putting them out. Um, but yes, I think because they're sort of termed as, um, deathcore, did you say pioneers or deathcore? Well, I of... said more populist. Yeah, de- yeah. 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 I think like, I think that I've heard them called, you know, the kings of the, the sort of the godfathers of deathcore and stuff. Mm. And that's clearly yeah, ridiculous. Yeah. 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 I th- deathcore... Like a who didn't invent metalcore. <laughs> it's a bit like that. Do you know what I mean? Deathcore is... Not yeah, not a genre that generally interests me. Yeah. It has, for my money, similar issues um, with metalcore, which I've gone on about a lot. Yeah. Um. Uh, so I rarely kind of am drawn to that kind of thing. So I'm aware of their existence, and I've heard bits and pieces here and there. But like, 
But I, I, I think this is the first full album I've heard by Whitechapel, right. I believe, off okay. the top of my head. Yeah, I mean, I really, I listened to, I think a self-titled one that came out in 2012, I listened to that and I was sort of familiar with the fact that they were a band when they were becoming, uh, when they were coming through with bands like Suicide Silence and uh, Can't Effect a bit as well. Mm-hmm. But certainly like the Suicide Silences mm-hmm. and the, yep. um, you know, and those sort of bands were were who I sort of thought their peers were. And I remember reviewing Our Endless War, which came out in 2014 from Metal Hammer. Mm-hmm. That's five years ago. And I listened to it and I thought, well, they're obviously trying, at least attempting to not just be a bog standard deathcore band. Yeah. At, least as the, the, at least they're trying to do that. I didn't think that album did that particularly brilliantly. Okay. It felt like one of those odd transitional records where you don't really get the they don't quite nail the thing they're going for but i was like you know it would be really easy for them to just do endless pig squill breakdowns blah 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 blah. um and they didn't do that and there's a few of those bands that that just didn't do that i think again i mentioned suicide silence job for cowboy another one who was one of those early ones who who didn't want to stick in that 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 place and i thought well fair play to them didn't want to stick in what would you agree? Very restrictive place. Very, very restrictive yeah. place. Yeah. yeah, especially with the sort of people that like deathcore as well, who are oh well, they're twats, aren't they? <laughs> Fuck it. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah. Uh, so anyway, um, our endless war was a was a was a big was a big hit for them. And Mark of the Blade, it felt like not so much so. But I think Mark of the Blade, Mark of the Blade was it was a far far better album. All of this has been uh, and nailed what they tried to do a lot better. Um, but all of this obviously has been a big old preamble <laughs> yeah. to the Valley, uh, which is their new record. It's been a big old preamble, hasn't it? It's has been a big old preamble <laughs> for a band like Whitechapel. But I just feel that we probably need to say all that because yeah, I think. Go on, you were about to ask me a question. Well, what do you think of this record? I, I, I'm I'm really pleasantly surprised by yeah. it, and it is not. My my expectations, a lot of which we've just sort of gone into a little bit, um, weren't super high because uh, because the only bits I've heard of Whitechapel have been very firmly in the deathcore mold. To mm-hmm. be honest, I haven't even I wasn't even that, that stuff that you were saying about you know a couple of albums ago that it was clear that they wanted to break out of that and not not uh, not not even break out of it, but not be like their like the majority of their peers. Yeah, that wasn't even apparent to me. Mm until i heard this album um the first thing i was surprised by is the first track which is great mm. um which it's called when a demon defiles a witch which is my friday night <laughs> uh and uh, <laughs> he's rubbing his eyes oh. uh, <laughs> and um it has the dynamics and the kind of feel almost of like a mid era opeth song mm. like not quite as good because mid-era opeth is fucking outstanding yeah but very good like i was like this is good it is good good. yeah and then um there's a couple there was a there were a couple of songs which then were far more along the lines of the deathcore Mm. thing that i was like well this is what i thought Whitechapel sounded like yeah but then once again within those confines had um I don't know if dynamics is the right word, but changes of tempo and interesting things that were going on, which were enough to keep my attention. 
And then the fourth track comes in. And I was like, Hickory Creek. Hickory Creek. I'm so in. I'm so interested to know what you think of Hickory Creek. Clean singing. Clean singing. This is the thing, isn't it? This is gonna. This is so. Here's how I feel about this record. This record. You're not going to answer my question. Oh no, no, no! I am answering. <laughs> oh, okay. This okay. is how I feel about this record, <laughs> okay. and especially within regards to a song like Hickory Creek. Yeah. Now, of which there are a couple. Like yeah, there are like. a couple like that, and obviously this is a this is a new thing mm-hmm. for Whitechapel. Mm-hmm. A couple of years ago, Suicide Silence brought out their self-titled title record. Mm. Were absolutely crucified for trying to do something new. Mm-hmm. Right? They were absolutely, you know, like humiliated online even before the whole album came out. You know, people had made their mind up about it. That album is, you know, it's not a good record. It's definitely not aged very well. But again, it was that thing where you were like, they are trying something new. Um, they are trying something different, and I, I feel like. The best bands will do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and the most yep. interesting bands will do yep. that. Opeth is a great shout, which I yep. hadn't even noticed until you, you clicked on it for when a demon defiles a witch. Now, whenever, what other fucking deathcore band would you ever compare to Opeth? Exactly. None at all. Exactly. Um, Hickory Creek is a song which, although it's not massively experimental and it doesn't jump way beyond the kind of confines of the, the sort of thing that we've heard in heavy music before, it isn't, there's a, there's enough of it to go, I mean, particularly, you know, the clean singing will be a massive talking point for people, I'm yep. sure. A yep. massive talking point. Um, but it's a it's a good song. It's like it's a it's a really, really it's excellently a, made song. Really good song. And I'll be interested to see really how it good. is how this album gets um evaluated by their fans because yeah. Yeah. for my money, you know, I this is a really good album. I I, I think it's... I really, really it's, like it. It's a really good metal album, yeah. which is heavy in a lot of places. It feels... I don't want to go into kind of saying radio-friendly, but it, it does do that radio rock kind of five-finger five death punch, that radio metal thing. There are elements of that that are in it that, that, that don't swamp it and they don't seem jarring to me. Can I jump a, on that for two seconds? Yeah, of course. The radio rock thing... So... When I was listening to Hickory Creek, I was listening to it and going, there was nothing, there was no reason really, I don't think, why this potentially couldn't get on Radio Rock, American Radio Rock. Yeah, none. Alongside your theory disturbed of a dead man's disturbed, your five uh, And it is, in my opinion, it is just a really good version of those bands that i don't tend to like i yeah. i would much rather hear hickory creek than in than the new nickelback song. i don't know what the new nickelback song is but really um yeah. <laughs> but you know because the the guitars like the guitars are still really heavy i yep. suppose in that way this is going to be a bit of an odd comparison i suppose and i'm not saying it sounds like this song but in in a sense it's a little like bleeding in the blur code orange in that they have found a way to um make their sound more palatable without but it still sounds fucking heavy yeah bleeding the blur is not the heaviest code orange moment obviously mm. but it, it to, to my ears i don't know what Whitechapel fans themselves are going to think who knows we'll find out but to my ears this still it doesn't um it doesn't it's not a compromise. It, it doesn't sell itself short. Yes, yeah. it's not a compromise. Exactly. It still sounds really good. And um, I, I, I really like it. I, I, 
I think it's a really interesting experimental album. Obviously, it's 10 tracks. Probably five of them sit in that deathcore mold. Mm. But they're interspersed and with these more experimental, interesting tracks. And even when they are just more straight ahead deathcore, even then, I think I think those songs are individually more interesting than a lot of the deathcore that I think of in my brain. They've definitely got far more nous and they're much better yeah. songwriters and they're much more interested in giving in, in a broader scope than than, you know, as well, as much as I love them, and I do, like, they're one of the few bands where I do just go, yeah, Meat and Potatoes, Deathcore, but, like, they're so good at that. That is Murder are great at that. Yeah. They're yeah, great yeah. at that. And I, I really, really like That is Murder. But That is Murder are just about, like, pound, pound, smash, crush but all that, the time. That's an interesting, yeah, that's an interesting comparison. Because you, you like That is Murder, but I'm, I'm, you know, they're, they are one of those bands that I do think are, I think they do the Meat and Potatoes, Deathcore well, yeah. but... because that is all it is and they don't experiment they don't ever go with outside of those boundaries i am bored by the end of holy hell or you know holy war holy war sorry or uh or are you you going to apologize to architects (laughs) i'm bored by the end of that as well but um (laughs) but anyway uh (laughs) but you know it, it this is this is far more interesting than that, personally. I mean, mm. I do, do you you do prefer Definitely. this kind of thing to die art? I yeah, I, it's be, it's 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 better. Mm. It undoubtedly uh, is if if you look at it on a purely. Um, analytic from a purely analytical perspective it is definitely objective, yeah. objectively mm. speaking it is better made it has got more it is more interesting it is it is better it's 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 more accomplished than mm-hmm. that is murder do i like it more than hate probably not okay um but that's just because i think you know i've well, we've already discussed what a fucking simpleton i am no um, but that's that, that <laughs> that's like yeah I, I think we always try to distinguish um, objective obje- objective opinions with, with yeah, but sometimes I just really fucking yeah. like it. Like, I, last, that collection of songs are, is so relentlessly brilliantly yeah. heavy. Um, well, last week I, I was it, like, yeah. that American football album, I can't quite put my finger on why I adore it so yeah. much. I just adore it, yeah, you yeah, know? Yeah, sure. So, you know. Um, but yeah, but I just, you know, I think fucking, again, Whitechapel... Um, tonally they're different to those bands the way they they construct their songs are different to those bands they've now given themselves a greater uh kind of um commercial reach without feeling like they've like you say there is enough classic deathcore uh on here kind of classic sounding deathcore i think they're still a they, they could be considered a deathcore band even though oh, really yeah. even though really they kind of have left it behind because there's well, nothing on here that sounds like you know uh the misery index or any of the the, the kind of the atypical um deathcore bands of the time no you know you listen to i don't know uh annotations of an autopsy or one mm. of those like the, the kind of the 2000 class of 2008 deathcore also rounds or whatever and and you know like none of it sounds like that which is great whereas mm. actually when you put on diet is murder you do go oh yeah it does sound a bit like that yeah and, um, and, and, and that's cool like and in terms of like the, one of my favorite 
more straight ahead black uh, 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 deathcore songs on it is a song called Black Bear. But even that, I wouldn't even call a straight ahead deathcore song. No, because there's... the bounce in it, it's deathcore vocals and deathcore sort of aggression. But the bounce is pure new metal. And there is sort of a set. Yeah, I'm That's not... always been a thing in deathcore, though, to be fair. I guess so. But I just not not. I am not a deathcore aficionado. I think I've made that clear. But I've not heard that bounce married to that deathcore sound done as well as on that track before, personally, I don't think. Um, mm. You're sort of... Mm. Well, no, I have. But okay. like, no, I, but, you know, that's not where... Yeah, it's a great song. I think it's a great mm. song. You know, the, the and, and do you know what, as well, and I think this is testament to how good this record is, the last two songs, Lovelace and Doomwood, Doomwoods, mm. are both really interesting. Really Really good. interesting. Yeah. And it's a thing where we said at the start, you know, when we were sort of introducing the record, I said at the start, it's based on a true story. It's something to do with Phil Bozeman's childhood. I don't necessarily, well, no, not even necessarily, I don't need to know exactly what that is. No. Um, and I've, I've had a look. Just mm-hmm. in the sort of in the because of journalism, I've had a look. Uh, <laughs> because of journalism, because you know we're we if it's out there, we should probably find it. And yes. I've not I've not found anything. And but then at the same time, I feel like well, I don't need to know really. No, I don't no. actually don't need to know. But it's clearly there's something very very personal, very very personal on this record, and you can hear it. Yeah, and that's enough. Yep, yep, I agree completely, Manali. So anyway, yeah, there you go. Good. Good album. That was Whitechapel, uh, The Valley. It's out now. And it's um it's it's, it's actually pretty, very good. Pretty darn good, yeah. It is. It's a it's quite, I would say this is a good week, Renfrew. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Because... I agree. I think we've had a couple of good weeks in a row. <laughs> because if that's a good record, mm-hmm. then this next record uh, I'm already glad you said that. It's a really good record. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, this next record comes from the band Brutus. Their album is called Nest. It is the second album from the Belgian trio, who are post punk, post rock, ethereal, metallic, hardcore, um, extreme. What? Uh, who knows? Post hardcore. Sort of. Post hardcore, but. Um, the same way that at the drive-in are post-hardcore in the sense that they sound, whilst they are in that genre, they have their a very distinct sound that is very them. Yes. Yeah. So um, they started, this is an interesting fact I just found out, they started as a Refuse tribute. They did. Yeah. yeah, yeah. In fact, actually, I'm going to one-up you on this because oh. I interviewed them a few weeks ago. All right. They started as a bad, or two of them started mm. as a bad religion tribute act. Oh. And they decided to become a Refuse tribute act. Well, there you go. So Review over. Uh, <laughs> and if that doesn't make you think, cool, that must be good. Um, <laughs> I don't know what will. So listen, um, I like their debut album, Burst. I liked it a lot. I remember at the time going, cool, this is really, really good. And then like so many great albums of the, the time, uh, it sort of got lost in the wind a little bit. And I didn't really go back to it. Mm, I'm going to pick up on this slightly and say that Burst, so, um, you know, I know I wang on about the ball time, but uh, I heard about Brutus first through sort of 2000 Trees and Arc Tangent, and there were a lot of people there. They came and played those festivals oh, two, three years ago, and yeah. the buzz around those fields was just like, oh my God, you got to check out Brutus. Did so live, and live, I think Brutus are a brilliant like, they're so good. I think um, the the fact that Stephanie is on vocals and drums is ju- is just a thing that That's... live astounds you, like the <laughs> yeah. way that she does it. Um, but just but even even if they didn't have that, I still think they'd be a brilliant live band. Mm. When I got the record, 
I liked it. In fact, I liked it very much. And I felt like that they had established what they sound like. And they had so many different influences coming in that they had a unique sounds definitely going too far, but a sound which was definitely them. What I thought was slightly lacking on Burst was memorable uh, songwriting, to be to be honest. Mm. I thought the songs were good, but to me it felt like they need one tour, like they need they need to tour this record and then I reckon album number two, they'll their songwriting chops will improve massively and i think album number two is going to be the one despite that loads of my contemporaries and loads of people who i know ended up absolutely just adoring burst and it got into album of the year list quite a bit and it, it did really 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 well and i always felt that like i was pleased that brutus were getting attention but i always felt like they showed shit loads of promise but weren't quite there yet this is with Burst. I think that's... I mean, if I'm being completely honest with you, I remember being like, wow, listen to that. Listen to those drums being played by someone whilst they're singing mm. with that kind of voice. Mm. Um, and then I just didn't listen to it for a while and or a long time. And I've not gone back. So I, I feel like I can't really comment. All I remember is thinking, oh yeah, Brutus, they're a good band. Um... A very good band, in fact. Uh, and I would like to say a very, very unique band. So I can't really remember about Burst particularly. Okay. But certainly at this point, if what you're saying is true, presumably you think, because I can't really have anything to remember to compare it to, but presumably <laughs> you would agree that the songwriting... Process... I think the songwriting has... I think they've done exactly what they need to do. And I think the songwriting has improved immeasurably on this album yeah. and i think now what they have is they still have retained that sound that makes them sound like them they you know they sound like brutus you kind of know it's them immediately um but now they really have the songs i even went as far i ab'd this with burst because i was really intrigued to see how far i felt like they'd come along the first moment i heard nest which is the name of this album um I knew it was better than Burst, but I wanted to see how far they'd come. And when you AB it, I think it's really obvious, to be honest, that right. the, like how much better these songs are compared to the ones on Burst. Um, I just think things like, I mean, well, sh- shall we just go straight to War, which might be my favourite song of the year? Right, yeah. I mean, that was released as a single, so people. It's might been out already, for a while, yeah. It's been yeah. Out for a little while, so people might be aware of that. But that. Yeah, I mean that is a that is a great song. Oh, it's brilliant. Yeah, I, I think I think they've learnt to use dynamics so much more. A word mm-hmm. I'm constantly going on about, but mm-hmm. it's important in music. Um, the the manner in which they use dynamics in Cemetery or something like that. I was going to mention Cemetery in a little oh. bit. That's a fucking brilliant song. Just just when when Stephanie goes into that, um, I want to be in the big big city. You know, like this refrain, which just like they get quieter and. I think the, the the manner in which they um, they use dynamics on this record is so much more powerful mm-hmm. than than on Burst, where where they had them a little bit, but not all that much. Mm-hmm. And Burst kind of all sort of rolled into it was very good, but it all rolled into one a little bit. Yeah. This album feels like it has very distinct songs, like Sh- uh, Sugar Dragon, Sugar Dragon, the, the, the last, last song, song, which is seven, nearly eight minutes long, nearly seven eight and a half minutes. minutes long. It's brilliant really really strong way to close i'm 
yeah, I, I, I agree with everything you're saying, mm. 100%. And, um, and I also, I keep finding myself trying to explain what what type of music they are. Do you know what I mean? Like I don't, I don't know if I can fully explain exactly what type of music, like, you know, what is this? So it's kind of... I definitely think their roots are punk. Yeah, as as we sure. discussed, as yeah. established with bad religion and refuse stuff, I think when you hear so, like, let's take war for example. War begins with this beautiful arpeggio, um, and Stephanie's amazing singing. I'd say another thing about this um, record is Stephanie's vocals have really come along as well. Like they're so much stronger than they were on Burst it feels like she's more in control of her vocals. So there are parts at the beginning of War where her voice cracks, um, but it does it in such a beautiful way. And then when the full band come in, um, it's such an abrasive, punky kind of energy that they come in with. But then over the top of all that stuff, you know, the guitarist uses a lot of like ethereal sounds yeah, and ethereal kind of this. effects and stuff like that. So there's almost a, you know, dare I say it, post-rocky kind of vibe really as well. Really glacial, like yeah. to get yeah. that kind of, because um, the bass feels like, when you talk about punk, you know, yeah. the, the bass, bass is, is really... like, you know, it's like Jerry only, yeah. like yeah. that kind of thick, you know, Rickenbacker fuzzed yeah. up bass. And then you've got these glacial guitar parts that are over top of it. And then you've got this really kind of wild manic drumming. And yep. then you've got this soaring vocal over the top of it. Yep. So well, just the, in the, 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 the four elements that make up the band are seem so uh, disconnected from each disparate. other. Disparate, yeah. That it's actually, when they combine, they make such a unique, unique sound. I think that's kind of the strength of it is, yeah. is managing to get four elements that are that are so different yeah that i literally completely feel i think if you took the the uh, if you took the tapes of this um of this album and you played them each bit individually the individual tracks yeah, yeah the individual yeah. tracks i you'd go well these how's that ever gonna sort of work how's that ever gonna work with this yeah. like surely yeah, yeah, that yeah. isn't isn't the isn't you know like the, the the right thing that you're playing me there? Yeah. But like they somehow managed to make them coalesce into into these brilliant songs. And well, it, isn't that what great bands do? Yeah, take disparate disparate elements and make them work, combine them, and make them work together. Yeah, you know that's what brilliant brilliant bands do. And I think you know i i keep going back to burst but i think on burst they had managed to do that they but what they didn't have was the songs yeah. now they've retained that but fuck me do they have the songs now i mean i would go as far as to say that the best that the worst moments on nest sound are of the same quality as the best moments on burst in my opinion right. I, mean, um, I don't feel like i can say that because it's been all so long since i've listened to it but if that's well, what you think then, and then I beyond mean, that when, does, when, when yeah. you get war and sugar dragon yeah. and and cemetery, cemetery and techno yeah techno's fucking amazing like mm. all of those songs are way better than anything on their debut i think i i i'm so pleased I suppose part of me is part of this review is me going, well, I had a theory about this band and it was correct. And I'm just <laughs> so pleased. I'm so happy to be right. I, mm. I really think that a lot of people kind of um, 
prematurely were like aren't brutus an incredible band you know a couple of years ago and the seeds were there they just weren't they hadn't quite blossomed yet but this is them blossoming yeah they well i I, such a good i feel like i'm possibly guilty of that because ultimately i did go i remember when it came out and i went wow this is listen to this because it sounded really different yeah i understand why people did it i totally Um, get it and then uh and i was guilty of that with them live actually as well i will say but then you know i've not got i've literally not gone back to that album yeah that's that's the the interesting i suppose the interesting thing well i can't imagine i won't go back to no no i I can't imagine that there's no there's no way that i'm just gonna go oh that was really great and because there are some albums where you go this is really great and then you don't listen to it again i mean for example Yeah. yeah possibly the valley by Whitechapel will be one that i go wasn't that good that Whitechapel that was really good and then i might just never might never listen to it again like you don't know you don't know we'll see but i i i, I think but certainly I mean, that's less likely than this i i we we you know we have started sort of talking about even though it's nine months away album of the year stuff and all that kind of yeah. thing pretty likely this will be top 20 for me uh it's got a good shout yeah and i do i do you know when uh, I had a few colleagues and people say that Burst was their album of the year two years ago, and I kind of, you know, uh, met that with a sort of, hmm, okay, raised Roger Moore eyebrow thing. Kind of like, well, fair enough, but, you know, uh, I wouldn't say that. If anyone came up to me and said that this was their album of the year this year, I wouldn't question it at all. I'd be like, yeah, fair play. Yeah. Because it's, it's a stunning. It's very good. Yeah. Very, very good. So when I'm Brutus... You've well, got Bruce. better, yeah. um, <laughs> which is what which is what people like. Uh, the album's called Nest. It is out right bloody now. Right, last album we're going to do um, that we're going to review this week comes from a band called the Pirate Ship Quintet. They are a UK based quintet. Um, <laughs> Bristol, mate. Fucking Bristol. Bristol. Yeah. Bristol. Okay, good. Um, this is their second album. Uh, they, to my ears, play a kind of very slow burning. Um, very minimalist to very loud type of post-rock. So obviously, you all know this cunt loves it. <laughs> but what do I think, more importantly? Um, uh, <laughs> no, no, Renfrey. Uh, that's not... Yes, uh, I, uh, none of that is untrue. I would add to it. I would say this is a half post-rock record. I think there's a lot of neoclassical in this. I think really this should be approached in a similar vein, kind of a mix of Mogwai and Max Richter or Eleanor Arthur. Oh God. Oliver Arnold. Thank you. Who we reviewed last year. Yeah. Um, That's a good, that's actually a good shout. Yes. Hmm. Um, I say that because yes, there are definitely post-rock elements, undoubtedly. Um, Undoubtedly. It's difficult to avoid that. Um, And it is very languid and very glacial um very sort of slow to build it's definitely post-rock in the you know it's not afraid to take its time it's nine tracks over one hour um but it has the core unit of two guitars bass and drums but in the core band is also a cellist yes and i think the reason, obviously, obviously I brought this in. <laughs> I don't think we need to pretend otherwise. The reason I brought it in, I genuinely had no, I don't know which way you're going to go with this, mm-hmm. but something you've complained about with post-rock in the past, and I do think it's a perfectly worthwhile complaint, actually, is not feeling uh, an emotional connection to it due to the lack of vote i believe due to the lack of vocals but lack of vocals uh yeah often often 
Mm. Not always, but often. Mm. And for me, the cello takes the place of the vocals with Pirate Ship Quintet because mm. cello is a very emotive, very beautiful instrument, let's yep. face it. Um, and so really, I was just kind of curious as to what you'd... F I was curious. I, I think it could go either way, but I was curious as to whether that would be enough of an emotional tug for you to enjoy this or if it's too languid and too slow and glacial. Or... You've brought a lot of these records in, Renfrey, and you've you've tested my... Well, you've tested my patience <laughs> with, with a lot of these records. Okay. And there have been times like... Uh, with a band like the Mono album, for example, yep. where I just felt nothing yep. from it at all whatsoever. And there have been times where I've looked at it and gone, I think this is very good. Um, like, you know, we spoke about This Will Destroy You last week. I actually did. In, I thought the Caspian album was interesting. Um, there's not really been many uh, outside of the sort of very best ones like the Caspian album, for example, where I've thought this is something which I would want to listen to again. Mm -hmm. You've finally found one hey! that I think is really brilliant. Oh, cool. Oh, yeah. wow. Oh, I didn't expect that. Oh, that's yeah. amazing. Cool. Um, Why then? Why is this different to the others? Because, I mean, the cello does play a massive part. It's moving. This Very album moving. is really, really stirring. Yeah. And again, like... I got no problem with the silence. You know, we were talking about talk talk a few weeks ago. There is, there are long passages of n damn near silence. Actually, in this record. just to, just to pick up on that. I gave you, this will destroy you last week as a, um, Oh, I think this is one of the records that has been inspired by spirit of Eden. Yep. If this had been out a week earlier, I could have just given, given you this. <laughs> yeah, probably. yeah. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, there is a lot of silence on this, but, much like Mogwai, who you know, you know, I'm a fan of, you know, I'm a big fan of Mogwai. Yeah. Um, this is very reminiscent of Come On Die Young, I yeah. would say, which is Mogwai's second album. Yeah, yeah. which I love. Yeah, yeah. great which record. I fucking love yeah. that record. Yeah. And, you know, the bits where, where, when it goes, it fucking goes. Mm -hmm. And that's, I, I feel like I need that. I don't mind three minutes of build up mm -hmm. if I get a fourth minute of, of kind of what feels like reckless abandon yep. there's reckless abandon in here there's also real moments of tenderness yep. and I feel like you know I said about the mono record I just didn't feel like it moved I mean obviously mm -hmm. it did move but it didn't it was moving so slowly and it was moving to places it's such a crawl that you almost didn't notice Mm -hmm. that it was moving um it was moving like the plates of the earth move like yes it probably they, they are, we're all told that they are but uh, none of us to the human <laughs> like eye the clouds is visible. are moving yeah, yeah, not, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. um whereas yeah, this yeah. i feel that it does move like obviously throughout the whole thing there's i never feel like despite the fact that i mean the second track i looked at it and the second track is 16 minutes 16 and, and 54 minutes. oh almost 17 yeah. 54 seconds long and I was like, oh, why? <laughs> and then I looked down two more tracks and the title track's 12 minutes long. And I was like, why are you doing this? And and the thing is, is like, you know, I mean. I knew you would do that as soon as you got this record. Yeah. But then once I put it on, yeah. I was kind of transfixed by it. Yeah. And it's very hypnotic, the, isn't it? Yeah. The, the, the biggest compliment I can pay to this record is that it kept me sat on the edge of my seat and it kept me. Great. And it kept me 
not just entertained and interested, but it kept me sort of poised and wondering where it was going to go next. And I think that is something which a lot of, or a, a great deal of the, the kind of the average post-rock band don't do. Mm-hmm. Like I like to feel surprised. Mm-hmm. I like to feel like I don't know where the music's going to go. And I never felt comfortable. You know, I think we were, t- when we were talking about the Devin Townsend project album, um, or the Devin Townsend album, not the Devin Townsend project mm-hmm. album, the Devin Townsend album, mm-hmm. Empath, which has come out. We said, you know, the, the brilliance of Devin Townsend is you sit on the edge of your seat like you're on a roller coaster and you have no fucking you idea where it's going to go. Yeah. And what, are, you know, and that's when music's exciting like that. That's that's great. Again, like the Uncle album, you can't just put this on in the background and expect to get anything from it. You have to fully engage in it. And when you do fully, fully engage in it, I think it, it you know, I mean, particularly Emitter, I think, you know, I, I mentioned the, the title track, which is 12 minutes long. That is an absolutely unbelievable song yeah. that is unbelievable hmm. it's it's got every single thing that i like about music in that 12 minutes wow it's cool. fucking brilliant apart from a beat down i was gonna say you're like, i'm not sure it's got a beat down it's not got a pig squeals no, no no i do i do i would like that um so if you're listening nine out of ten um more beat downs next time please um yeah i think emit is a wonderful song i re i I do love the almost 17 minute track companion as well i would say the same as that uh choir features on this album yet again and you know um you more so than me but you've had sort of issues with choir in in the past i i think the manner in which the choir is used is so nuanced and subtle actually on this i think it's fucking beautiful i love it It is, and also i mean that's the thing is like you know there's a difference between a kid's choir Mm-hmm. Or, you know, the kind of the cheerleader choir sitting right at the very front. Yeah. Again, this yeah. is a similar thing to um, uh, when we were talking about Uncle, uh, allowing things to kind of exist in the background and really make you listen for them, mm-hmm. really make you listen mm-hmm. for those subtleties. Yeah, and this does that a little bit as well. You know, I, I feel like um, a lot of... It's funny how much I've noticed the tricks of of what Mark Hollis and Talk Talk did are kind of now having really thought about it when we did Spirit of Eden, because before I was like, oh, this is great and I like it because of whatever. Now you really, really think about it, you do start to go, God, they're really, they really were hugely influential, massively, massively influential and people are using their tricks uh, a a fair old time, aren't they? But it's, you know, I mean, it's tricks, it's just like, I mean, Pixies were hugely influential for debatably being the first band to do, you know, quiet verse, loud chorus. And and it's it's the same it's the same thing I think in terms of being able to use silence as an instrument or silence as a weapon or whatever. I think um, there are I, I really 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 like this album. I think it's very very good. I'm very pleased that you like it. Um, I think that there are. It's an album that does have. Um, moments and what what some would disparagingly call crescendo core um and i can't honestly sit here and say that it's the most original post-rock album i've ever heard there are if you're a post-rock aficionado there are a lot of these tricks that you will have heard before but i just think they're done 
very 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 well and and you know the post-rock snobs and stuff do get a little bit like oh well it's just building and building and building over a long period of time but my my reaction to that is well there's lots of songs which have a quiet verse and a loud chorus Mm. but you don't moan about that you know that is that it is a trope of post-rock but but if it's done really well as it is on this who gives a fuck yeah you know i mean you know this is I, I've heard a lot of these types of bands. I think at this point, certainly more than your average human yeah, being yeah. has. Definitely, I'm not Thanks like compl- <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, and I'm not. I'm not, you know, I wasn't uh, completely ignorant yeah. to it all when I was sort of coming into this. You know, yeah, obviously, yeah. you're much more into it than I am. But, uh, but, but certainly, you know, like 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 everything. You know, I think we. We just spoke about the Whitechapel album and calling it an experimental album. Yeah, within its scene and within the things it does, it's doing different stuff. And I think this is another album where you could go, this has clearly got its own flavour and it's doing the, you know, the thing that that they're doing is is the thing that they're doing. Do you know what I mean? I'm not saying it's completely original and completely unique. Yeah, it's not. It's not. No. It's just very well done. I don't think the the Whitechapel album isn't completely unique, but it's just very, very well made. It's taking elements from lots of different sources that exist within that part of the scene and that sphere of music. I think this is doing the same thing and doing it very well. To be honest with you, it's not something I'm moaning about. It's just something that those who do love post-rock who are listening to this... I can sort of foreshadow them potentially complaining about that with this record. And I'm just like, I don't care. It's good. <laughs> um, I think it's really, really good. It was, um, it, there's seven years between this album and the uh, previous one as well. And I'm not saying it's seven years in the making, but you can kind of tell that it's been made over a long period of time mm. and really analysed and thought about as well. And I think that makes a big difference. It's a really good, yeah, really, really good record, I think. It is good. So it's called Emitter by the pirate ship quintet and that is where we're going to leave the reviews and move on to a very interesting trade-off to close us up uh last week you gave me broken bells self-titled album from 2010 Mm -hmm. um an album which you gave to me on the basis that it was produced by uh by danger mouse who we spoke about a a lot um due to his uh, collaboration with Karen O, which yeah. we reviewed last week, which is a good, which is a good record. Yes. Um, uh, this is the first album by Broken Bells, who um, are a, a duo, a kind of indie rock duo. Yeah, it's uh, it's Danger Mouse alongside um, oh James, James Mercer, Mercer from, from the, the Shins. Shins. Uh, I'm not familiar with the Shins. Are you not? No. Have you seen Garden State? No, mate. I'm not seen that. Sorry, Great mate. Film. Uh, I've also. Um, Do you know the Shins? Fuck. Don't know the Shins really. No. Right. No. I'm also not really familiar with Broken Bells either. This is obviously mm-hmm. the first time that I'd really heard them. All I know is they were. Um, uh, this album was a, a nominated for the best alternative album at the Grammys in 2011. Oh, don't I don't know if you that. knew that. No, I didn't. Well, yeah, it was. Um, and was kind of a commercial success. Yeah. Looks like it was very, very well reviewed. Yep. Um, I actually recognised the high road. Ah, the first the song. Yeah, I recognised yeah. that. And there yeah. was a couple of ways, uh, the, a couple of songs as the way through. Where I was like, I think I've heard that. I feel like I've heard this. Okay. I feel like I've heard that. Um, but I have to say, Renfrew, okay. as nice as it sounds, <laughs> and it does, again, you know, we spoke about its production last week, does make incredibly well produced and lovely sounding records you can tell it's produced by danger mouse i think you just about can yeah Ooh, well you okay. can i yeah, suppose yeah, yeah. yeah but you know it's it's um it's got a tweeness i think we spoke 
about yes. Joanna Newsom the other week, and oh, I was like, yes, there's true. a tweeness that I can't take much twee. Mm, yeah, and if okay. I do have a bit yeah. of twee, I mean, to go back to an album that I fucking pretty much raved about last year, um, where, which was the uh, the Dirty Projectors album, which I raved about last year, that has that's pretty it twee. does have tweeness, yeah. But because there's so much other shit going on in it, uh, I can kind of overlook the tweeness of it. Whereas... There's quite a lot going on with this. There though. is quite a lot going on in this, but I feel like it gets slightly overpowered by the twee. Mm, overpowered by the twee. Yeah, which makes you weak. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, overpowered by the twee. Um, and... Uh, yeah, so... Okay. I, 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 I can't... Annoyingly, I mean, I can't... I can't be like, this album isn't twee. What are you talking about? It's, yeah, it's, you, it's quite twee. It's, it's pretty twee. It's just, I, I just, I I mean, what is it? Is it a pop record? Is it an indie record? It's a sort of, I, I thought it was pop a indie record. poppy, <laughs> a poppy indie folk record. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, um, I fucking loved this record when it came out. Right. Um, I was, I am a fan of the shins and um, particularly their first three albums. And uh, as, but for me, the shins kind of dropped off a little bit after that and Broken Bells released this album just as uh, the shins were, in my opinion, dropping off. Right. So I was like, oh, it's okay. I've still got Broken Bells. Um, and yeah, I just, I, I don't know. I, I, it, it, it's a difficult album to describe because I don't think it really quite sounds like anything else apart from maybe Danger Mouse stuff. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I just thought it'd be an interesting one to give you for considering we did Karen O. But yeah, I, I said last week and alluded to the fact that this is probably my favourite Danger Mouse, uh, favourite album that Danger Mouse has been on. I mm-hmm. should say, because it's not strictly a Danger Mouse album. Mm-hmm. Uh, you do not you do not agree with that then? Mm, no, I mean, I couldn't tell you what is, but it wouldn't be this. Okay. Uh, do you prefer To The Getaway by Red Hot Chili Peppers? I do prefer yeah, me that. Yes, at least. Okay. Yeah, I do prefer it to the getaway by the Red Hot Chili Peppers, most certainly. But um, it kind of evaporated out of my psyche. The second uh, it, it felt like a bubble to me because it, it's so light and it was it's very light and it's very bright and it's very high and it kind of feels like a bubble. Like you go, oh, that's a nice bubble, and then the bubble pops and it's just gone. And that's kind of how I felt about it. Nothing are, really stuck. Even these are though, all very good descriptors, annoyingly. Yes. Yeah, but even, I, I, I kind of see that as a good thing. I, I understand why you're saying it as a negative thing, but but that's kind of what I like about it. Well, but I mean, yeah. I did recognise the high road when it came on. I think I kind of recognised the ghost inside as ghost well. Ghost inside, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, but I don't know where from or why on either case. But, I, you know, I do sort of feel like I recognise both of those songs. And there were, But then I couldn't tell you what they sound like right now. The high road. That's what that sounds like. And the ghost inside is... Uh, uh, <laughs> I can't remember. Never mind. Uh, oh dear. <laughs> <laughs> what track is it? Track four. Uh, oh, is that? You're such a good start to me. You're everything I want to be. But you're stuck in a... That's it, isn't it? It's just a fire. Yeah. So come on, let it shine. Let it shine. That one. Yeah, good that. <laughs> Um, yeah, so it sounds like Take That, basically. It sounds like Take That. Uh, sounds like Take That's best song. Well, that's not Take That's best song. What's about Take That's best song? Never. 
forget where you're coming from. from. Ah. Yeah, that is very good. Mm. I actually really like Patience as well, although you it's might. Song. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And Today this could be <laughs> the greatest day. You're Let's take that this week, can't we? I'm seeing take that. We? Aren't you? Sorry. Yeah, I am. I'm seeing take that in two days' time. So. Brilliant. Uh, none of your business, why? Um, anyway, <laughs> Broken Bells. You know the album has got very little to say about it when you end up sort of singing. We did it last week, Lost Boys. Yeah, Starting talking about the Batman Forever soundtrack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. And we started talking about Take That over Broken Bells. I don't really like this Renfrey. No, that's fine. Fair enough. I should have considered Sounds the fact that Super Twee. The, produ- y- y- yeah, really the production is phenomenal. Yeah, production is really of. good. But, it, but um, it's, it's not a particularly uh, life-changing record for me. It doesn't really do much and I don't really remi- remember much about it fine. because it's just so twee. But then that could also be said in the perviest of flips ever. <laughs> um, in a lot of ways, that's Broken Bells by Broken Bells. I gave you... Another album which probably you listen to and go, oh, <laughs> all right. I didn't, um, I didn't go, oh, what the I fuck? Went, oh. And then the second it finishes, you go, I don't remember a single second of that, but <laughs> it's definitely not twee. Uh, Atari Teenage Riot live at Brixton. Is this now, the most opposing um, trade-off we've done? It could be. be. It I could think well it, be. You could have picked Altars of Madness by Morbid <laughs> Angel and it would still be the twee album out of yeah. these two. Um, Atari Teenage Riot live at Brixton. Now, I have just showed you before we started recording my ticket for Nine Inch Nails on the yeah. 29th of November 1999. One of those old see. school tickets. One Love old, them old yeah, school tickets. At Brixton Academy. I went down there um, Nine Inch Nails on the Fragile Tour. First time I've seen Nine Inch Nails. Absolutely unbelievable. Like, um, they, they were amazing that night. I was excited to see their support band uh, who were Atari Teenage Riot who I was interested in. I'd heard Atari Teenage Riot doing a song called No Remorse I Want to Die with Slayer on the Spawn soundtrack in 1997. They did that. I then bought 60 Second Wipeout and the Revolution Action single as well. I got that. Mm -hmm. And I tried my fucking damnedest to listen to it and enjoy it. And I sort of pretended to myself like I did like Atari Teenage Riot, even though, you know, I was listening to Silverchair and stuff at the time. So I probably didn't really know what was going they on. They had some good shit though, didn't they? Atari they did Teenage have some Riot. good shit. Yeah, 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 I think if you go back and listen to Atari Teenage Riot, incredibly dated as a band, uh, that or as an album, that record sounds really dated, but kind of, it's all right because it sort of sounds deliberately dated. It sounded like it was made from, you know, uh modems and 16-bit technology and uh and just mm. shouting mm. and mm. you know and mm. 90s washes of guitar mm-hmm. so they were for those of you who don't know Tony Teenage Riot a kind of German anarcho techno punk band featuring Alec Empire who then went on to be a solo artist in his own right I was going to say went on to be Alec Empire went on to be Alec Empire <laughs> and uh and also um got on the front cover of Kerrang as a solo artist yeah. at that point. Yeah. Atari Teenage Riot were always a difficult sell, I felt like, when I was growing up. Um, even my sort of punk and hardcore metal friends didn't like the fact that they used dance music things. Mm-hmm. And my friends who didn't really care about, you know, like Basement Jacks or The Prodigy or Chemical Brothers or whatever, mm-hmm. would look at that and go, that is terrifying. <laughs> um, so yeah. it built to what I think is 
the most vile thing I've ever seen in my entire life. Atari Teenage Riot played a set at Brixton Academy supporting Night Snails, which lasted, according to this album, 26. 26 minutes and 38 seconds. But for everyone who was there on that night at Brixton Academy and had to actually go through the trauma of watching Endure Atari it, Teenage Riot, surely, yeah. um, it felt like about four months in Guantanamo Bay. Uh, I was very, very grateful for my volume button uh, when listening to this, as in I could turn it down. And then I thought about the fact that you saw this and figured, oh, you couldn't turn it down when you saw this live. That must have been excruciating. I honestly, there was a guy sat in front of me because I was up behind the mixing desk and I was stood there and there was a guy sat down on the floor of Brixton Academy because it was kind of filling up as the support bands were starting mm. and I wanted to get in to watch Atari Teenage Riot uh, <laughs> um, uh, which I never did <laughs> again and um, well they, they initially split up very soon they did this, so they? We'll, we'll definitely go into get that. into yeah. that yeah. Um, so they came on and I was excited and I thought the noise, the first sort of 30 seconds of noise, mm -hmm. was them setting up again. It was again. an intro kind of thing. It was an thing. intro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Carl Crack, their MC, who, unfortunately, we, the, one of the reasons they split up is he committed suicide mm. not long after this gig. The story is that they were exhausted from touring with quite harsh Nine Inch Nails fans. Um, they were very strung out and yeah, uh, not, burned, burned. Yeah, out. just a band who were burnt out from con sort of constantly touring all over the place, being hated by the Nine Inch Nails crowd. And with two shows left, they actually didn't do the second night. So Nine Inch Nails played two nights at Brixton Academy. Atari Teenage Riot pulled out after the show. This was the first of two nights. Did, was there ever a reason given for them pulling out? They were like, fuck it. Like, well, just can't be we, asked. Yeah, they don't okay. want to do it. They're, they're exhausted. They don't want to do it. They just sort of were like, we just, we literally can't do it. And I think you could see, you could see somebody who was mentally unwell in Carl Crack on that night. And I know like maybe I'm just repainting this picture uh, knowing what I know now and going and and you know I, I don't want to kind of romanticize it in any way at all and I but but I looked at Carl Crack stood at the front of the stage mm -hmm. rocking back and forth in the middle of the stage with his back to the audience for 26 minutes and I thought that guy has he literally didn't do anything apart from just rock backwards and forwards on the spot you don't the time he was right yeah, you don't that. hear him on we don't hear anything really do you? <laughs> any, you can you can pick out any of them it's very hard yeah yeah very, so very i think hard. it was um nick Endino was the the main dj and there were only three of them there on the night as well so it was um hanin elias i think was the other girl who wasn't there nick endo and alec empire were behind the decks and carl crack stood in front of the audience rocking backwards and forwards with his head down with his back to the audience for right. the entirety of the show and I remember thinking, this doesn't seem like... Because I'd seen them before. And they had the three vocal person and they were addressing the crowd. They were talking between songs and stuff. Um, There was a guy sat in front of me, like I said. So I came in earlier. There was a guy sat in front of me and he literally covered his head up with his T-shirt after about five, six minutes and led on and curled up into the fetal position and just lay there the entire time. I've not seen anyone do that uh, at a gig before. No, I don't I think I have either. <laughs> no. um, 
it was comfortably, and I mean comfortably, the most aggravating thing I have ever seen on any stage for anything ever. Renfrey. <laughs> yeah. Did you enjoy Atari Teenage Riot live at Brixton Academy, the album? Was I meant to enjoy it? <sighs> is anyone meant to enjoy it? It's not an album, this is it? No. No. It's not a live album. It's it's a document of... Yes, it's, yes, it's a it's document. It's a document of yes. a historical uh, happening. My first... I make notes for this show. <laughs> I do. <laughs> My first yeah. note was very loud, distorted, discordant noise. Fucking hell. <laughs> that was as I was listening to it. That was my first note. Um, I usually listen to the records you give me for trade off. I try to listen to them at least two to three times at the very, very least. Only listen to this once. Gonna confess uh -huh, right that's now. Fine. Uh, yeah. That's enough. <laughs> that I, I, enough. Let me confess. I didn't listen to it. <laughs> right, okay, that's fine. I normally listen back to it to refresh myself. Yeah, I thought, yeah, what's yeah. the point? No, there's no point. Um, it is exactly how we're describing it, really. Um, discordant, noisy um, passages, electronic passages. I mean, it's just, it's just, it sounds like a bonus track from a... Um, uh, it sounds like a bonus track from, I don't know, like someone like the Mad Capsule Markets it, it, in 1998 might have, you might have had to forward for like 20 minutes and then you'd get this for 20 minutes. You'd listen to it once. Maybe you'd listen to three minutes of it once and then go, okay, I'm never going to listen to that again. You know, like occasionally albums would do really weird. They they'd do those really weird discordant things at the end of an album or something. Yeah. Um, ugh, I, I mean, it's an interesting document. Um, you don't need to listen to the whole thing. Um, I don't know. Did I you have more questions. To listen to the whole thing. I did listen to the whole thing. Yeah, I did listen to the whole thing. Because I was What's like, your favorite bit. <laughs> the when it end? ended, the yeah. end. Yeah, the when it ended. Mm. The, well, actually, right at the end. Um, I'm assuming it was Nika, uh, Nika, Nico, Nick and Dino, Nick and Dino. Like scream something really uh, abrasive and loud. And I, I was like, actually a sample from. Um, oh, is it a sample? Is it? Yeah. Okay. Um, the, the one thing I noticed is I the the bootleg had no crowd noise, and I wanted to ask you, being there, uh, was that because they took the crowd noise out, or was there no crowd noise? There was no crowd. Noise. Right. Okay. I mean, well, there might have been. There might. Have been. The thing people might have been shouting. Right. Right. But you wouldn't have been able to hear over the top of it. I mean, it was. I used to, I, I've gone. People are like, oh, he's the loudest band you've ever seen, and people sort of say Motorhead. People have said, yeah, like, yeah, you yeah. know, Airborne are yeah. unbelievably like ridiculously loud. Really. I mean, at least Motorhead were playing massive venues and, and being loud. Whereas I've seen. Yeah. You know, a wall of Marshall speaker stacks for Airborne at the fucking Shepherd's yeah. Bush Empire Airborne. in front of like one and a half thousand people. And you're like, you don't need that, mate. You yeah. can kill me. Airborne and are fucking loud, yeah. Airborne are fucking loud. Yeah, yeah. But nothing, no one, nowhere ever can compare to have, going through this. Right. This was unbelievable. This, you know, like it, it fucking. I was at the back as well. There were people milling around down the front. There were people on the barrier. Like, you know, you go, I'll wait for Nine Inch Nails on the barrier. <laughs> oh um, you know, I've heard closer. I've heard, <laughs> do you know what I mean? I like her. I need to get on the barrier. Fuck. Like, you're in 
the a world of pain. Like well. I, you know, it hurt. It genuinely hurt. I sat down by the end. I, I, and it, it, I felt sick. I felt physically sick. No band has ever made me feel actually feel physically sick in my stomach mm-hmm. and nauseous mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. like dizzy and you get a headache or something's really loud. Yeah, I've had bands before. You go, cool. This is quite. You know, I'm, I'm hungover and I'm going to see Creator or whatever. And yeah, I've yeah, got a yeah. bit of a headache and all. Yeah. Oh, this is a bit much. But no band has ever made me feel like like i'm getting motion sickness mm-hmm. i can imagine i can only imagine like i said i was very grateful for my volume control um the cia uh during the iraq war reportedly used songs to torture uh uh yeah they picked stuff like stuff. Of roses, like they idiots. picked stuff like the room real slim shady by eminem and dirty by christina aguilera the beautiful people by marilyn manson which makes a bit more sense saturday night fever by the bgs the i love you song by barney the purple dinosaur that yeah, does do make it. sense yeah, to be yeah. honest that's um, not that far away from this i, I well i this, that should be on related artists i think on spotify when you, when you click on the <laughs> if they had used this i think the war would have been over very quickly yeah. <laughs> like surely all they needed to use was this mm. um I listen to very heavy, discordant, screamy, shouty music for pleasure sometimes, um, and I would have, I would have just told them where the IEDs were immediately. Not that I know where IEDs are. It's fine. Wow. Uh, confession. We'll, we'll get them out. We'll get them out of here. <laughs> Don't worry. Um, I looked for reviews on this. Yes. Well, I'm just looking at the Wikipedia page now, which has the <laughs> review from Select. We gave it one out of five. And yeah. then the review from the NME gave it 11 out of 10. <laughs> yeah. Fucking ass. The enemy. Uh, ridiculous did you people. Did you look for it? I've, I've, I've not read it. I've not read the review. Um, It's well worth seeking out, actually. Like, I very rarely, very rarely uh, uh, big up the enemy. But this is a very funny review. I And I am, I'm not going to read the whole thing because you could find it on the internet. Um, But the last two paragraphs are well worth hearing. Um, for the strong of stomach, we particularly recommend the cataclysmic electropunk ejaculations around three minutes forty. The sound of Satan himself sharpening his huge mechanical rotating knives at thirteen minutes forty-five. So these are highlights, basically. Yeah. The Panzer division of crazed Pokemon's committing mass suicide at twenty-four minutes ten, and the blessed relief which dawns around twenty-six minutes forty-eight when you realise the storm has passed and that which has not killed you has left you feeling violently sick. Um, any appreciation of this record then lies not in orthodox critical standards but in how extreme and masochistic your taste for sonic punishment is or how murderously grim your sense of humour if you have ever discerned apocalyptic beauty in Neil Young's arc, nihilistic purity in Lou Reed's metal machine music, cathartic splendour in primetime napalm death, or blowtorch majesty in My Bloody Valentine's nuclear meltdown finale to their 1991 tour, then live at Brixton Academy 1999 will rock what remains of your brain until it spurts out your ears. Yeah. Respect. I mean, it's a funny one, this, because on one hand... I occasionally, over the years, like some sort of Stockholm syndrome-induced, <laughs> sadomasochistic fucking idiot, go back to this record. Right, okay. And try and listen to it. Yeah. And try and garner some level of... Understanding? Enjoyment, yeah. understanding, yeah. Yeah. Uh, nostalgia uh-huh. for, for seeing that thing. 
I'm glad I saw it. Like, really, really glad I'm, I saw it. And I'm kind of glad this exists because I think if I was sitting here telling you about it, mm. you wouldn't quite believe it. Yeah, actually. Do you yeah. know what I mean? I, I'm not sure. If I said to you, oh my God, I saw a Tony Change right, and it was the single most... Or maybe I think nihilistic lot of noise. I, maybe I think you were happened. exaggerating, yeah. or maybe you know when you go, oh, it was the entire set. I was like, well, maybe it was the first ten minutes, and then they played a couple of bangers. Uh-huh. No, 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 no. There no. is no respite in that near on twenty-seven minute half, like near on half an hour of of of, of quote unquote music in this. And so on one hand, um, I think this album is utter fucking dross. Yes. Like complete and utter waste of time dross. Like in terms of do I want to listen to it? Do I ever get through it? I've got about 14, 15 minutes into it before. And I try to listen back to it. I've got about 15 minutes in and then I get the fucking fear. Uh, (laughs) And I just can't. I dared my mate Dan, who I work with, who likes sort of likes likes Jersey Boys. Right. Um, I dared. It just said, I'll give you... 50 pounds if you listen to this album all the way through and he lasted three minutes <laughs> he was like this will be easy i've heard you playing heavy music before three minutes wow. so it's only 26 minutes it's yeah, not even yeah, half yeah. an hour yeah and he couldn't even get five minutes into it um it's a good whenever whenever people say oh metal that's just noise yeah it's a good barometer to go no 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 this is noise yeah and this is music. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, if you, if you, I don't know, played fucking Converge, anything like Converge or, or Dillinger or whatever. And, and well, people played, say it about Metallica. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you go, well, what, steady. Yeah. Like, they, you know, there's and if you, the if you, whole world out there that is going to be very surprising to you. If exactly. You think that, like, Enter Sandman is the fucking yeah. heaviest thing that's ever happened. If you, if you A-B'd them, um, you know, yeah, then those people would never say that's noise ever again because you go no that's noise so on one hand the the actual act of listening to this is of no benefit to anyone whatsoever no but i wonder how many people listening to this will actually listen to it i urge all of you tweet us how long you last oh yeah at podcast how long you last listen to this record because it will be how long you 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 won't get all the way through well i did yeah you had to i'm tough as nails I think most of you will go, fuck it, life's too short mm, and mm, this is too hard mm. and I don't want to do it. Mm. Right? I would be very, very interested in to tweet us how far you got into this record before you turned it off. And if you did get to the end, you know, some of you, I, I would say none of you will get to the end. I'm just, there's probably some hardened, like, Sun and fucking Gorgoroth <laughs> fans out there who, who will be like, nah, fuck this, I can listen to this, it's not a problem at all. Yeah. But, uh, but, so, but the thing is, I do, I, I admired it once it finished, I mean, it felt like a personal attack yeah, on the day. Yeah. It felt like a personal attack on me as yeah. a human being yeah. that I was being subjected to this. And I remember, like, as they walked off, I've never been so fucking delighted and relieved to see the back of a band. Yeah. And I went back home and I looked at their... I remember picking their CDs up and being like, well, I'm never going to listen to this ever again. <laughs> I'm not, like, I've tried so hard to be you your fan. so offended, and yeah. you've, you've just done that. And I, what the fuck is going on? And then I found out, obviously, the story that comes out behind it and Carl Crack's uh, subsequent suicide, the the fact they split up not that long after this, they didn't. I'm sure they ever did a gig again after this. Um, I think, and, yeah, I think it was. Well, they certainly thing. didn't do one with Carl. Mm. Um, mm. I know they've reformed since. Mm. Yeah, but yeah. certainly, you know, it's um, it's one of those things where you look at the 
the the aftermath of of something like that happening and i think you can kind of appreciate at least the sort of honesty in it which is that sure. i don't want a fucking beer yeah yeah, yeah i don't yeah. want a beer and i don't like you yeah and most bands in that situation they grit their teeth and they grin and bear it and occasionally uh, you have to have respect for a band to go well you know what not only do we not want to be here and we're not going to grin and bear it we are going to make your life a fucking living hell for the next 26 minutes you know in that respect i mean it's an enormously honest artistic statement yeah i mean that sounds like an incredibly wanky thing to say but but it it is is. it It is. is and 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 you, the thing is as well is like normally like you know famously Dillinger Escape Plan on Calculating Infinity supporting system were down mm. getting booed mm. you couldn't even boo Atari Teenage Riot because no. no one would hear no if, no. The, if everyone in, you know by the time they finished playing Brixton was two thirds full right and people were like walking around going what is it like you know and trying to boo and trying to get but you couldn't even summon up the noise to overpower it with booing right like even if you wanted to go boo get off like boo. even if you wanted to heckle them even if you wanted to like they were like no we're louder we're gonna be we're 10 times louder did anyone you. like throw anything a few people did yeah okay but it hurt to get to, to throw something at them you'd have to get close enough yeah, to actually yeah, yeah. reach and fuck that do you know what i mean like you're not gonna it it, it was like being attacked it was like being physically attacked and I mean, I, I, I've, and no band's ever done that. Mm. That I'm in, in person mm. to me, mm. no band's ever done that. I've had bands that are too loud, and I'm like, fucking hell, this is so loud. Mm-hmm. I need to put some headphones in. Mm-hmm. I've got my ears are ringing for three days afterwards. Call that was a bit of a, you know, yeah. that was a bit much. I've had bands I've gone, I'm not sure that I'm in the mood to get in a mosh pit and be pushed around and have people spin kicking me when I'm hungover or I'm ill or I've got a cold or whatever. But I've never just stood at a gig waiting for a support band to come on. And felt like I've been like molested, well, violated, almost. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It I was can imagine. a violent. It was. It was. It was an, an actual attack. Mm. Mm. Um, you know, despite all of that, you said you you're glad you were there though, just because it's become sort of this, I suppose, yeah. historic moment. I'm kind of glad you made me listen to this because I've heard you talk about this gig loads, and I suppose there is that. It's not that I never believed you. It's just, I didn't know there was a document of it until we talked about it last week. And I'm like, oh, yeah. you are right. Like, yeah. it, it is, it's, it's not you mis- misremembering. It's mm-hmm. not you exaggerating. It's not, you know, I didn't think you would have done either of those things intentionally anyway. Mm. We just, we quite naturally do sometimes. No, yeah. this is, this is, <laughs> this is yeah. as you describe it. Yeah. It, um, and if I was locked in Brixton Academy with it, with their sound levels and all that kind of thing, I would still be talking about it 20 years later as well as yeah. one of the most traumatic experiences of my life. Yeah. I mean, if I started going to gigs in 1999 and if this was my first experience of live music, I may never have gone to a gig ever again. I mean, listen, I started that year. That, that was the last gig I went to that year. Um, no, it wasn't. I went to Slipknot and Machine Head after that. I actually was like, Well, anyway, look, the first gig I went to that year was at Brixton Academy. It was Offspring on the Americana Tour. And I closed it out with this. So it was, it was a fucking quite a journey. Um, <laughs> I would go as far as to say is this is the heaviest thing that this is the most oppressive heavy thing that has ever been committed to music. Possibly. Um, I, I wouldn't want to make that claim. I, I, Here's maybe, another one. Maybe. Here's another one. 
if you're listening and you think there's something, the, I tell you what, the mm. only other thing that I can think of that's made me feel anywhere near this, and this is, but, but I don't think it is because I think those are songs and I actually quite, I think there's definitely a level of artistry in it. Uh, the band Skullflower. Yeah, I've heard about uh, Skullflower. I really, really, that's as close as I've ever felt to being like, what the fuck is going on here? There are elements of swans, I would say, but they never, but it, but they don't, it doesn't go over 26 minutes. I think swans can get this discordant and yeah. horrible sounding. Yeah. Um, not, but not for 26 minutes at a time. No. And they are ultimately their songs. Just about, yeah. Just about. <laughs> yeah, with swans, yeah. I mean, yeah, again, just about. I yeah, think, yeah. you know, it's hard to sort of work out exactly how their songs, yeah. but they are songs. Yeah, yeah. Whereas I don't think there's, there is no attempt to make music here. No. It's just, it's one untitled Not, track. It feels horrible to go, this isn't music, because that is the sort of thing that a shitty dickhead would say. But mm, it's, yeah. I just think there, there's, there is literally no intention for this to be... I think bands make discordant, loud, noisy music and their intention is still let's make music. I don't think their intention here is let's make music. Yeah. Their intention here was I, we want to really hurt you. We want to really upset you. We, we don't want you to like us. Mm. Um, and, you know, that's not that's honest. And like I say, it's, there's a, it's, a, it's an artistic statement, but it's also <laughs> fucking... One one quick question that I did want to ask. At this time, I'm assuming you were, you know, hardcore punk. Yeah. I hate everything. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, we've discussed this before. What did that side of Stephen Hill think? Did, did that side of Stephen Hill think this is yeah, the coolest thing it. ever? Right. I, <laughs> okay. I, do you know what I loved? What I loved about it was, and the th I think the thing that kept me going is that I knew sort of what sort of band they were. Yeah. So... 15 minutes in, I was disappointed because I actually liked the album. I actually wanted to see Atari Teenage Right. I actually wanted to see um, what they were going to do. Mm. Um, and I wanted to see those songs from that album. Yeah, yeah. So on that level, I was sort of disappointed because I was like, you're just deliberately going out of yeah. your way to fucking piss me off and yeah. I like you. Yeah. Yeah. But what kind of kept me going was the fact that there are a bunch of people there who didn't know anything about them yeah. at all. Yeah. And seeing their faces mm. Mm. was fucking brilliant. So I like that. Would have been even cooler if they'd been like support for Spice Girls or something, though, wouldn't it? Oh yeah, I know. I don't sort. Of <laughs> do not know what worlds. <laughs> Is that like a mix-up in the post? <laughs> well, Daphne and Celeste played between Rage Against the Machine and Slipknot in. Uh, two no, years no, they later, didn't. They, they played between A and Blink One Eighty Two. Oh, is that yeah, a load of nonsense? The old rewriting of. Oh, rewriting of history. Yeah, they didn't do that at all. They played between A and, and Blink-182. Oh, so, okay. You know, it's not as good a story. <laughs> but anyway, but the, but, for, but for once, that's the thing. The legend is true in this. Yeah. In this case, yeah. the legend is yeah. true. Okay. All that stuff about Daphne and Celeste, oh, they were in between Rage and Machine. No, they weren't. No, they weren't at all. They were in between A and... A Interesting. And, you were there then? Play, yeah, I was there Amazing. Then. Yeah, we'll do that. Daphne and Celeste live at Reading one day. Um, is, is there a bootleg of that? <laughs> it's on YouTube. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, well, we can yeah, do that. We, yeah. Is that what you're giving me next week? <laughs> no, it isn't. Let's talk about what I'm giving you next week. So anyway, that's the Titan is right, live at Brixton Academy. Um, the mental. See how long you can last. Be okay. very, very interested. Uh, next week, Renfrew, we've already, I've kind of spunked already we spoke about scott walker i feel like i should give you the drift which mm -hmm. is um certainly in heavy rock and metal circles the album which is most relatable to the to that part of, of mm -hmm. his oeuvre bar, so i'm going to give you that and bar sun or or even more relevant than the, i think the it's record sun. 
I think it's more relevant because okay. I think, although I know a lot of those bands, it's considered the, you know, it's considered the most uh, influential and the, I guess that's it's considered the masterpiece of the sort of second part of his career, I think. Yep. Second or third part of his yep. career. I definitely got that from the obituaries and stuff. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'd like to give you something completely different. So I'm going to give you um, Weekend Man by Royal Republic. Oh, fucking. Is that the second one? Uh, I think it's their third or fourth. Album, oh, okay. That's actually. fine. Because I've got the first Royal Republic album. Ah, okay. Excellent. Okay. Yeah. Great. Okay, good. Well, okay. So next we're going to be doing Full Blown Man, was it called? Weekend Man. Weekend Man. Yeah. <laughs> Weekend Man by Royal Republic. Which Renfrey. I guarantee will be different to Scott Walker. It, it, it has to be. Well, yeah, it, it is. has to be. Yeah, it is. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know that band. It is. Uh, and you'll be getting the classic Drift by Scott Walker. The Drift by Scott Walker. Anyway, that's it. Thank you very much for listening. We appreciate that. Go over to musicism.net for your courses. $9.99 a month. 25% off when you put Riot in the checkout. And uh, you can become a bester musician and singer-songwriter and <laughs> guitarist. And you can probably work out that bester is not actually a word. See you next week. Bye.